0: Excuse please, I'm uh, I'm uh, looking for uh, Paradox of Civility. Uh, you, have you do you know where I can find uh, Paradox of Civility? Uh, it's a podcast. It's a award winning podcast. Uh, Paradox of Civility. <laughs> I fooled all of you. No, hey, this is Roy Koshi. That was me the whole time acting. I'm Indian, but I don't have an Indian accent. Fooled all of you. And also. This podcast is not award-winning. It's won nothing. It's barely won listeners. So to you, whoever's listening to this, I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, fooled all of you. And I bet you if I met Donald J. Trump, I'd fool him because he would say, go back to where you came from. And then I'd have to say to Donald J. Trump, "Uh, you mean Omaha, Nebraska, where I was born? Or the suburbs of North Dallas, where I grew up? Since I was five years old, where should I go back to? That's where I came from, huh? My mom's vagina, perhaps there. Is that what you meant? Um, And he he would just cower and he would cry and he would stop being racist, I think. I think this is the whole problem. Donald Trump just hasn't interacted with me yet. And, um, you know, if I just uh, if I just kind of like snarkily zing him like, (laughs) sir, I was born in America. Gee, and you're the one acting un-American. If I was like Nancy Pelosi, if I was just like, hey, that's not nice. Why don't you come over here and work with us? What the fuck is that all about? Jesus fucking Christ, man. Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about this before I get into this dumb show. Uh, although this episode is not a dumb episode, folks. I'm really proud of this episode, at least the first half of it. Okay, so... Um, I love that everybody is always surprised every time Donald Trump uh, says something racist. I love that. Like, oh, my God, this is a new low. It's not a new low. He's just been the guy has been like this, like the little like fucking uh, rotted jizz. Does jizz rot? I don't know. But anyways, he's sort of like the leftover dried up jizz at the bottom of a gym sock. And he's just been like this for a long time. He's just been low. The whole time like oh, it's a new low and this is not who we are it is who we are it is America a lot of great things about America too America's made a lot of progress over the decades over the centuries but it's also a place founded on slavery and blood and the people who propagated all that stuff uh, kept uh, having babies and so their offspring yearns for that uh, returning to that time all right So why is everybody still so fucking surprised? I swear to God, it's going to be like the day that like Trump just tweets out. Hey, spick nigger, kike faggots, get off my land. If he just tweets that out, oh, this this is not who we are. What a new I cannot believe that even from this president or it will be the Pelosi response of, uh, well, you should just. This is not how we run government and you should work together with us. You know, if you feel that these niggers and uh, spicks and kikes and cunts and faggots and, you know, well, it doesn't do any good to tweet. I mean, these truly the tweeter and tweet and then, you know, Maureen Dowd would uh, go back to her, um, you know, wherever the fuck Nancy Pelosi lives at her winery and she would just eat her ass while typing up a puff piece for her. Uh, And then, you know, of course, these people would like unite against the four uh, women that Trump was targeting, basically, Uh, women of color, uh, primarily uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, born in America, Rashida Tlaib, born in America, Ayanna Presley, born in America, Ilhan Omar, not born in America, but uh, been an American citizen since she was a child, you know. Donald Trump's mom wasn't born in America. And I think like his uh, grandfather or great grandfather, I don't want to look this up while I'm recording this, but Donald Trump or what the last name was, Trump. he was actually an immigrant. Uh, I guess like this is the good thing about this migrant uh, policy that we're the way that we're treating migrants. We might be killing the future. Donald Trump might just be killing out that line. I don't know you know, sometimes just like thoughtless genocide. I guess it might have a silver lining. I don't know. Um, okay. I don't mean that. Well, welcome to paradox of civility. Um, so that's what happened. Okay. So the date of this release is Tuesday, July 16th. Um, I am recording this in my home studio. So if you hear any popping with the P sound, I apologize. I'm trying to, uh, I'll, 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 try not to use any more peas. Um, so, all right. So what is paradox of civility? Um, this is a show where I revisit an online, um, it's a podcast where I revisit an online radio show that I did in 2012, 2013. I produced it and hosted it. It was called the hate project. And the Hate Project was basically a show where I tried to explore hate. I tried to explore the sources of hatred and bigotry and racism, and I did this by allowing people to call into my show live anonymously, uh, so that I could, uh, you know, that so that they could actually have an honest conversation with me without the fear of getting in trouble and so if you've been listening to paradox of civility um this podcast that you're listening to now uh you know that um i've been reflecting and revisiting these shows reflecting reflecting on and revisiting these shows and um just basically with mixed results um i don't know if i just gave these people just another platform to spew their hate and this is the problem and it's why this is called paradox of civility somewhat based on paradox of tolerance by Karl popper the idea of giving fascists free speech Uh, here's the paradox. We all believe in free speech, but giving fascist free speech, not a good idea because they will take away your free speech as well as your fucking lives. Um, so, um, you know, they just, I felt like I was kind of used many times for them to just spew their hate. I felt like I kind of made, maybe at times made them more comfortable because I try to be funny. I try to interact with people, you know, I try to just have a rapport. I like to listen to people. I like to talk to different people. And so did I, like, sort of give them, like, the sense of, like, I'm not so bad. This guy, uh, you know, is laughing along with me. And uh, I never revealed my identity either, so they never knew that I was Indian. Um, I would never do that killer accent that I did on at the beginning of this episode because that would probably stoke their hatred. And They'd probably go kill, like, a fucking... Uh, they'd probably go to their local Indian restaurant or had to drive to another town uh, and go kill somebody there. I don't know. Um, anyways, um, so that's what this podcast is about. Um, the other idea of this podcast is to reflect on, to bring up these interactions, these conversations. Um, there were sometimes call-ins, like there were live call-ins and then I had people in the chat room cause the, the, uh, internet site that I was broadcasting this radio show over was talk shoe and they had a chat room as well as allowing for live phone calls, Um, and I'm just, you know, kind of reflecting on these interactions in this current era of Trump, because even back in 2012, 2013, these people were considered fringe people. Their talking points were kind of, to me at least, very new, and they were considered little Looney Tunes, like kind of in the level of like, you know, someone who would call into like the Art Bell show or something, just people like who have like lunatic conspiracy theories um and so i'm just reflecting on how these ideas these talking points these ideologies have found their way into the highest offices in the land and have basically kind of found their way into mainstream discourse in america right now um, even if the majority of people don't feel this way even if these individuals may still be a little bit on the fringes um their ideas are coming to life through policy in a lot of ways and um One of them is the bizarre, cruel treatment of people trying to seek asylum in this country, which is legal. Uh, People emigrating here and, um, you know, the cruel, deliberate separation, the deliberate denial of soap and toothpaste, things that you just need to stay alive. Water. Um, Horrifying stories of just children getting sick um, of just people in desperate situations. I can't. I'm, I'm not a parent, but fucking Christ, man. If you took one of my cats away from me, I'd be panicking. I cannot fucking imagine what that would be like to just... Somebody takes your baby away from you and you just don't know where that baby is. It's really devastating. And so, that's... But that's it. Like, you know, that it's not like some idiot, like, walking around with a swastika on their fucking neck. Uh, being like, hey, why power? But, like, it's the... Uh, dreams of white supremacy of white power coming to fruition. And obviously, you know, this is a country where this is not the first time this has happened. I mean, for fuck's sake, this is a country where four black girls were killed in a church because somebody bombed it. Uh, Native Americans were separated from their parents. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's what's going on. And so, uh, the go back to where you came from that Trump basically lobbied at, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Claib, Presley, and Ilhan Omar. And then he sort of like, <laughs> you know, before that, he said that they should respect Nancy Pelosi and show some respect. And um, and uh, so it's this is where we are right now. Um, that sort of, uh, and again, growing up in Texas, I heard that shit. Go back to where you came from. Go back to where you came from. And it was always some idiot, and even like other decent white people would just be like, That guy's a fucking moron. Like, why okay. Well, that idiot, go back to where you came from. He's the president now. So. Um this is all very obvious. But I guess like I'm just disappointed that like this just keeps going. And um people who should have our backs, uh not just white people, but just in general. I mean, They're more interested in attacking these people that Trump is attacking than attacking Trump like the Pelosi's of the world. They spend more time and enablers like Maureen Dowd, uh, these pathetic, aging, like, you know, snarky, mean girls. Nothing wrong with aging, by the way. So don't fucking get on me on that shit. Um, We all have to do it. But you're too old to be a mean girl. Maureen Dowd, you know, grow up. Um, you know, they're just dunking on these young women, these young progressives who are trying to do good, you know, for at least from what I can see, they're trying to do good. They're trying to, you know, make government more ethical, make government more humane, make it serve people more. Um, so the centrist Democrat, the liberal establishment is more interested in just punching left, punching them versus like punching right. They have this weird fantasy that the Republicans are going to co- are going to come around and uh, fall in love with them again. Hey, we're all we're all friends again. Okay, so this episode you're going to hear um, it's a really important episode and it's probably the best episode of the Hate Project uh, canon, at least the first half of it. And I'll tell you why. I interviewed a woman named Corey Lou Karina Burt. She used to go by the name Access Sally, and she used to be a white nationalist. Um, now she has a really, really fascinating life story. So Karina Burt, um, she starts out uh, in her career, um, grows up in Eugene, Oregon, which is a very liberal town, right? And then uh, she basically uh, leaves home very young. Uh, she gets married very young. She goes to work for a funeral home, uh, doing embalming work. And the reason, what you know, what kind of drives her to it? I mean, you'll hear it in the interview. Um, You know, she talks about being fascinated by death. And so, um, you know, that's what what brought her to that. And then uh, she started to appear in torture porn. Not regular porn, torture porn. And she explains how she got into that in this interview. And, um, you know, she got a divorce. Uh, She found white nationalism in her late 20s. Started by living in Portland, Oregon. And I questioned her on this and she explains how she came to that. And, you know, she joins the National Socialist Movement. Uh, She kind of moves up the ranks there. Then she joins the Northwest Front, run by Harold Covington, who was a shitty novelist and a shitty person. I've talked about him on the show in the past. And, uh, you know, she kind of is uh, really taken by him. Um, And um, the impetus of leaving the movement uh, was when her kids... She had two children with her ex-husband. And so, basically, the impetus here was... um, Uh, uh, when she started to feel like the, the safety of her children were threatened. So we talk about a lot of different things. Uh, we talk about her having a conversation or having sort of like a correspondence with somebody named Holly Grisby, who was involved in this ghoulish murder spree. I'll post an article about that. And also I do recommend you look at some of the articles I post this week because they're, you know, relative, they're, they're relevant and, um, they're interesting articles Uh, A couple other things I want to talk about here, Um, you know, uh, Karina talks about women in the Nazi, -Nazi, neo-Nazi movement, the white nationalist movement, and how they're expected to be breeders. So uh, apparently, and there's an article about this, uh, a lot of women on the current alt-right today, a lot of these people uh, who have podcasts and uh, YouTube channels that have a big following, it's not just like fringe people, they have like hundreds of thousands of people following them are trying to uh, do this white baby challenge, encouraging white women to breed um, with white men. And um, so I'll post an article about that. I'm also going to post an article on this theme of leaving a hateful movement. I'm going to post an article about uh, this woman named Jen Budd, who used to be a former Border Patrol agent. And uh, she's been doing a lot of activist work, you know, to kind of atone for the fact that she was a Border Patrol agent because she saw a lot of horrible shit. She saw a lot of terrible things and she acknowledges her complicity and being part of this system that actually kills people. I will post, it's called an open letter to, uh, from an ex border patrol agent. I'll post on the, uh, description below. And I recommend you listen to that. Listen to it, read it. Hell, it, hey, read it out loud to yourself and listen to yourself and listen to how stupid you sound. Yeah. That's why you don't have a fucking podcast. You probably do have a podcast. Everyone has a podcast. <sighs> How weird, you know, I don't know where you all live, but maybe like if you're in traffic in your commute or you're on a train in public transportation, we all have podcasts now. How weird would it be if we were all just like without knowing it, just listening to each other's podcasts while we're standing right next to each other or in traffic night right, right next to each other? How weird would that be, huh? Yeah. I don't know where this is going anyways. Um, so after, uh, my interview with Karina is over, uh, somebody named pastor Visser calls in and he's a character in the white nationalist movement and he's uh, hated by a lot of people, but God, I guess he's also liked by a lot of people. He's a fucking nutcase. Um, and he calls me and starts cursing about Karina Burt, you know, calling her all kinds of names before that though. This guy named the Chad 80 calls in. He's a black, he's an African-American young man, and he has a similar mission that I have. He says that he tries to talk to white nationalists. He tries to debate white nationalists either on Talk shoe or elsewhere, and he tries to, uh, you know, kind of a similar mission that I had, to try to learn where they're coming from, to have an an honest dialogue with them. And so... um, Jeremy Visser starts calling him the N-word, so um, I will say this, and I'll interrupt the. I'll, after Karina's interview. I'll butt in later on this episode, and if you want to tune out, I understand, because there's a whole lot of hate language. Um, and then another guy starts calling uh, Jeremy Visser, this guy Chuck from Vancouver, who hates uh, Jeremy Visser, starts calling him, Jeremy Visser, the white racist. He starts calling him a nigger which I think is a pretty brilliant tactic in a lot of ways. I, I think white racist people should be called the N-word more because they really do embody uh, what they say other people, the the negative aspects of that other groups embody. Um, so that's kind of, that devolves into chaos. Um, and so, um, yeah. So also this weekend, um, ICE raids were planned for um, Sunday, July 14th. Um, and so I don't know how much really, um, happened. Okay. But, um, I just want to read something from the Los Angeles times. And my understanding is that, um, according to this article, at least from the Los Angeles times, um, so, uh, you know, the number of targeted apprehensions was not going to be in the millions. Uh, it was going to be maybe like more 2000, but it's like about by two, 0.2% 0.2% of those facing deportation would be apprehended, but I just want to read this, uh, little quote here. Um, so somebody who uh, is following this, um, his name is, uh, Roberto Suro. He says this about Trump announcing this raid. One audience is supposed to feel like something is happening and the other is supposed to be scared to death. And that's another theme in this uh, interview I do with Karina Burt. Um, You know, it's sort of like projecting this idea of power, of white power. And she also indicates that, like, you know, a lot of what drove her into this movement and kept her there was just the idea that, like, we were fighting for something and this really I really meant something and I was like serving something. But it really was. She does talk a little bit about this. You'll hear it about like posturing about sort of the performative aspects of white nationalism, of white power. And she also makes a good point, though. She makes a good point that like, um, you know, uh, the lone wolves, we really have to be afraid of them. And that's kind of that's kind of been proven to be true. Like even in Charlottesville, uh, those people are dangerous. But like a lot of it was performance of like flexing their chest, like puffing out their chest. It's okay to be white. But then, like, one guy just, like, rammed into a group of people, killed Heather Heyer. Uh, the Gab AI, the Robert Bowers, um, you know, Gab AI is probably just, like, a lot of, like, you know, people being openly hateful. And then one lone wolf, not necessarily connected to anything. Same with the Christchurch New Zealand sh- shooter. Not, we, we haven't determined, like, whether they belong to an actual group or not. But, like, they kind of just, like, oh, I'm going to do this by myself. Um, they are part of this ecosystem of white supremacist, uh, ideology, but then like the lone wolf goes off and does this heinous act. And it gives the actual groups like the actual Nazi groups ability to like have plausible deniability of like, well, we didn't put them up to it. That guy's crazy. We didn't have anything to do with that. You hear this in like, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've been hearing that a little bit. So anyways, um, listen to the episode. I will uh, cut in a little bit later and then I will talk to you at the end. Enjoy.
1: And I want to just check in to see if this is my special guest. Uh, Let me just uh, let me just check in really quickly, everyone. All right. You guys understand the show already? Okay. Hang on. Okay. Guest number eight. Are you there?
2: Yes, this is Axis
1: Sally. Hello, Axis Sally. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for calling in.
2: Thank you. Anytime.
1: Awesome. So, uh, folks, this is my special guest for the evening, uh, Axis Sally, a.k.a. Karina Burt. Did I pronounce your name right? Karina Burt? Yes. Um, What would you like me to call you?
2: You can call me Karina.
1: Karina? Okay.
2: So, um, very, very
1: exciting show. Uh, judging from the chat, um, I need to just lay some ground rules before I interview you um, for people in the chat here. So, um, folks, I'm going to do an interview here with Karina Burt, a.k.a. Access Sally, and the ground rules are this. Um, it's a free speech zone. Don't, don't threaten anybody. Don't be crappy, all right? Now, I am going to – I'm not going to take any other phone calls while I am interviewing Karina. Uh, I'm going to ignore the chat, but Karina, if you – if something in the chat uh, just jumps out at you that you want to address, uh, you can do that if you want. Uh, I'm going to let you lead on that, but I'm going to ignore the chat. Um, I I don't know how much you want to engage people in the chat. Well,
2: it'll (laughs) be my priority.
1: Okay, excellent, excellent. So. you know the reason I get the feeling a lot of people who have logged into the show already know who you are, but um, I want to just lay the ground for any future listeners or anybody who doesn't really know who you are. Um, so, Karina, you and just just correct me if I get any of your any de- details of my sure. intro for you wrong, okay? Yes. Um. So you you used to be a member of two white nationalist movements, a neo-Nazi movement in Portland, and then. The Northwest Front in Montana. Uh,
2: the Northwest That's, Front in Seattle, actually.
1: Northwest, Northwest Front of, in Seattle. I a,
2: yes, I was a part of um, April Gaty's crew in Montana.
1: Okay, okay, I see. And before that, you worked at a funeral home. You did embalming. Yeah. And, then, um, and, then, and then after that, you were actually acted in pornographic films uh, in sort of like what, what people would consider extreme... There's a genre called torture porn. Is that how they refer to it?
2: Yes. Um, the movies actually okay. came before before the funeral work.
1: Okay, so the movies came before the funeral work. And, um, and then throughout this, you were still competing in bodybuilding competitions. Is that correct?
2: Yes, I've been doing that um, for the past three, four years now.
1: Okay, so you've been officially competing in that, in bodybuilding competitions. So you weren't doing that throughout the time you were in these uh, white nationalist movements. Is that right?
2: I was, actually. A lot you of were? it overlapped okay. quite a bit.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, believe me, I'm just trying to get it straight for our audience because I think you, <laughs> from what I've heard of, of you and what I've read, um, I mean, you have a very unique life journey. Um, and you were also, um, you know, you've been an addict at one point in your life and you're a recovering addict. You, you, you are a recovered addict, I I hope
2: I'm recovered. I haven't used any drugs in 15 years now.
1: Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Um, So, um, and where did you grow up, by the way?
2: Eugene, Oregon. little university town.
1: Eugene, Oregon. Is that like a pretty, like, like a university town? It's kind of like a very liberal town, right?
2: Oh, very liberal. People, um, that's what it's known for. People make jokes about all the hippies and everything, and they're absolutely correct.
1: Right, right. Okay, well, so growing up in Eugene, Oregon, I mean, did you did you feel that you were maybe not liberal as a child, or were you rebelling consciously against the environment you were growing up in?
2: No, I felt that my parents were very liberal, and, and I was raised to have liberal views. I certainly wasn't raised to hate anybody. Right. Um, and uh, my mother, actually, I was primarily raised by her, and she did... Uh, she talked a lot about the civil rights movement and how wrong it was to be racist, and that's what I believe. It's just Eugene is a very white town. I never had any exposure to—I mean, hardly anyone of another race.
1: Right, right, right. But you were not raised, yeah. But you were not raised to fear other other races at all. Right. Um, right. And so, um, and your parents were divorced when you were young, at a young age, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Well, I remember on, on one of your podcasts, you were sort of speaking on how your mother used to trash your father as, as you were growing up. Is that correct?
2: Yes. She was uh, right. you know, trying to, to turn me against him, and it backfired in the end.
1: Right. So do you think that maybe at, at, some, at some level, you were, the way you went in your path, you were maybe going, you were trying to rebel against your mother a little bit too because you resented her for trying to do that?
2: Yeah, you know, that, that is a possibility. It's just, um, I mean, I left home when I was 17, and I didn't discover white nationalism until I was 30.
1: Okay. Okay. So, cool. So, you left home when you were 17, um, and then you only got into uh, – you did uh, the films, the porn films, before you worked at a funeral home, right? Yes. Okay. So, but that was and, – in and on, and one of your podcasts, you, um, you said that you only got into the porn industry when you were about 27 years old. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So uh, can you tell me, can you walk me through or just tell me briefly what was going on between the time you left home when you were 17 up till you got into the porn industry?
2: Um, let's see, 17, um, that was at the height of my drug addiction. I cleaned up when I was 19.
0: And then okay. I actually
2: um, started going to community college and then got married when I was 22. I completed my psychology degree at Oregon State University had two children, um, divorced at 26, and then started working in the funeral home.
1: Okay, okay.
2: Uh, So Actually, yes, I did have my first funeral home job, um, which it's it's a requirement by the state. You're required to serve a a one-year apprenticeship before you can actually uh, become licensed.
1: I see, okay. And so what what brought you to that funeral home in the first place? This is is coming right after you got divorced, right?
2: Yes. And, I mean, that's something... That was a career that had actually interested me greatly since high school. I just never really pursued it because I had no idea where to start. And then I think it was well, while I was going through my divorce, I, I was just kind of taking stock of my life and thinking of, you know, what, what am I going to do now? And I'd stayed home with the kids the whole time and had to choose a whole brand new career from scratch. And I just started writing letters to all these different funeral homes. And, and one of them just hired me right off the street, having never seen a dead body before.
3: Right. So I was
2: interested was in in the work um, mainly because I I think the funeral ritual is something that's dying and it's something that I, I just made a bad joke there. <laughs> um, I, I would really I <laughs> would like to um, to see people get more more involved in in funerals. I think it's a very important ritual, um, and too many people want to just pretend you know pretend it's over, pretend it never happened.
1: Right. Okay. So it wasn't like a, it doesn't sound like it was like a gothy sort of like, man, death, man, kind of like a weird obsession with death per se. It was more like, maybe like respect for the dead, it sounds like almost.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I was also very interested in the reconstructive work on, on dead bodies. Um, because I think if you lose somebody in an accident or to a suicide or a long illness, um, I think viewing can actually help bring a lot of closure. And I wanted to be able to create a, a good last memory picture for
1: these families. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, just a quick note here. Uh, the Chad 80, I see that you're on the call here. I'm going to be, I explained this at the beginning of the show, I'm going to be interviewing Karina Burt here for a while. And then if she wants to take calls, we'll take calls. But if she doesn't, I will take your call after I am done. So just throwing that out there. Um, so, um, so you went to the funeral home um, and then around 27, you transitioned into the pornography industry. Was that another thing? Was that like another interest you had as a child or as a teenager that you always wanted to do that you just finally pursued when you were divorced?
2: You know, I, I think you might be right there. It was just, um, you know, everybody, I think at some point, watches pornography. Some people think, you know, what what sort of people take part in that? And I just, I took that interest yeah. to another level. I, I wanted to see for myself, just just what is this? What kind of people do this?
1: Right. Okay. And so it was it was just mainly out of curiosity? Yes. Okay. Well then I have to ask, um you I mean you didn't like necessarily do you did like sort of the type of porn that was a very, very extreme form of porn. Like you didn't just do like the regular um like the pizza guy showing up and getting it on, right? Um I, I, what, I didn't was start it that,
2: way? that way, actually. I started just doing like, you know, normal traditional oh, okay. types of movies, but um you know, I, I was 27 years old. Um, most people start when they're 18 or 20, and you know, so the the people in the industry they very nicely told me that I was just a little bit too old for this, and that um, if I could take some real pain, I could make some real money in on the other side.
1: Oh, okay. And so with so it was it was a monetary decision. It wasn't so much like this was some fetish for you that you were really turned on by torture porn, right?
2: Right, no I don't I don't enjoy that sort of thing. I would never do anything like that today, I'm not even in, in my private life. Right. Well, yeah, cuz I, I was kind of
1: curious about this because and, and, and I'm not trying to like rubberneck or like sort of make too big of a, a deal about this particular part of your life, but um in in your second podcast or something like that, you talked about doing private films where um, you know, there were there were custom-made films for individuals that involved violence, and you mentioned that you didn't know if you would go home that night.
2: Right. That was, you know, when when that's your only way of making a living, um, I think you'll do things that ordinarily you wouldn't do, and it was was pretty scary looking back.
1: So, but you were still, were you still working at the funeral home in some capacity while you were doing porn?
2: I was going to mortuary college.
1: Okay, so okay, so you okay, I see what you're saying. Oh, and it was that first year where like you had to apprenticeship. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Okay, and so um and so okay, it was just out of desperation. Um I'm just I'm I'm always just sort of curious, like, because it, it it sounded like on on you know, your podcast and I you know, I heard your interview with the news guy as well. Um, you know, you have an extreme personality, you can't do things half assed, right? You go to full extremes. But um, with this, it just sounds like, it It does sound like actually a survival, um, a survival tactic of agreeing to these like sort of extreme torture porn. Um, and uh, I guess my question also would be, was this, was this, uh, you were doing this to survive and were you also, you know, were you also, did you have custody of your children at this time or did you have joint custody of your children?
2: We've always had joint custody.
1: Okay. And so was there and so you were expected still to bring in the income and have a place for them and all yeah. that? Okay. Okay, I'm putting things together. I just have to ask, like like so what was what was uh uh and, and this is the last question I'll ask about the porn. Like what was it like, I mean, doing torture porn on a day to day basis? Did people just treat it like a job or were did you have co stars that were a little too into it or um, um or it
2: um, for me, it definitely was just a job. It's like, okay, I'm going to work today. Um, some of the co-stars, um, some people in porn in general, it's, it's really sad. They seriously expect um, the, the actresses to maybe want to date them outside of, of the industry, kind of like when
1: yeah.
2: people go to strip clubs actually looking to pick up on the women. Right. Um, and some of the other people were just, just as kind of a matter of fact about it as I was. You know, this is just our job.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so um yeah, I, I always just sort of wonder about that. Did you ever meet any fans of of your work?
2: Um online. Yes, there was a it was kind of a website that was set up sort of like MySpace for the porn industry where you could, you know, you could um attend auditions, meet fans. Right. So I, I made a lot of contacts that way.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so uh now, you know, you go from this very very extreme porn and around this time, was this, or, so like you're 27, and how many years did you do uh, por- pornography?
2: Um, maybe three, two or three years.
1: Okay. And so, and then after after you were exiting the porn industry is where you found the white nationalist movement. Is that correct?
2: Yes, around um, age 29 or 30. That's okay. From.
1: Okay. And was this and when you found Stormfront, I mean you've you've talked about this a little bit on your own podcasts and um uh were you was it just being disappointed with your career trajectory at the time? Uh was that was that sort of a disenchantment in your own life?
2: Um, no, I think it was just living in Portland in general, you know, my first time kind of alone in a big city and that was my first exposure to black people and other races. I'd never really known any before. Right. And, um, things like you know riding public transportation late at night in bad neighborhoods—that's you know where you're going to find kind of the the worst of any race of people.
1: Right, right, so right.
2: That being my first exposure to them, I started realizing, oh, well, this is why people are so racist all the time because black people are horrible.
1: I see. Okay. And that was your only exposure. Was just like kind of public transportation late at night trying to get home. And then you. And then I remember you mentioned um, something about uh, working at the funeral home. You mentioned something about, like, how white people were victims often. Is that correct?
2: Yes. I mean, I saw a lot of uh, – I, I really think I've seen every horrible thing that one person can do to another person. And, I mean, I would come to work every day, and there would be several more people laid out for me to work on, and some of them were um, – some of them were, like, random homeless people. Some of them were children, uh some of them were victims of gang violence, right. it just started really standing out for me when I, I remember a period of time when it seemed like once a week we were getting another child that was killed by a Mexican immigrant
1: huh well did you did you um i mean did you only see white people come in, or did you see other people of color come in too? I have a hard time believing it was only white folks.
2: Oh no, of course, I saw uh, people of all different races you know killed. For different reasons,
1: right? Okay, um, but, but at I, I don't that know, moment, for some
2: reason, it just stood out for me more when um, the perpetrators of these actions were not white.
1: I mean, was that was that just sort of like maybe like a sort of lizard brain survival instinct, just as a white person? Like, and there was you could label the person killing the the killer as this other foreign sort of entity coming into your coming at your race versus, like, if a white guy killed his wife, his white wife?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: Okay. And so, okay, so, you know, you're working at the funeral home and you're exiting uh, the porn industry. Um, So I just want to, um, I want to talk about, um, and you've talked about this a lot in your own podcast, so... Did you, oh, I wanna ask you this. Did your did your ex husband or your children know about the porn life that you were living?
2: Uh, the children were far too young to know. Um the ex husband did know.
1: Okay. And did he ever like use that as leverage against you?
2: Um, not not exactly. Only once when um it was after when I moved to Montana and then he found out exactly just how, how much I was into white nationalism. Um, then he did and he first went to try to keep the children from me. And then in his various reasons why he did write down that one thing.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. And so, um, and so like you, you enter into um, you, you get on Stormfront. you know, you're, you're kind of out of the porn industry, but you're still at the funeral home. And um, you, so what was the first group you, you became a part of?
2: the national socialist movement.
1: Right, and that's that's considered a neo-Nazi movement. Yes. And, yeah, um sorry, I there I always I get confused like because there's I guess the KKK doesn't consider themselves neo-Nazis, even though I guess that's they all fair. hate this. Uh
2: KKK is more of a a Christian group, their own strange brand of Christianity.
1: Yeah. Well like actually in the neo-Nazi movement I've had some callers on this show who've who are members of of the National Socialist Movement or a form of it and they're pagans. Was that the case in your group?
2: Um not so actually yes, um a lot of the the NSM members were Odinists. Um I think that's a a form of um European god worship mythology.
1: Right, right.
2: So, so some- Northwest Front members they also consider themselves pagans,
1: right, okay so um and so you you mentioned on your podcast on your own podcast that like you know you finally felt like you were part of a community um, and so and so you felt like you were part of a community, and you move up kind of high in the ranks um, as a member of this national socialist movement uh, region, right? You were like the leader, right?
2: Yes, of the Portland area. Okay. Well, so I
1: want to ask you this. Um, You mentioned that, you know, you were – there was something like, you know, you said something when you you joined this group that um, this was a, a local group that may do something. You said that on your podcast. So what did you have in mind? Like what was it that you wanted to do with this group
2: I'm not sure if I, I really had any specific thing in mind. Or just, At the time I joined, I thought we were a legitimate political organization.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I just thought I found so, uh, a group of people who shared my ideology. Right. I thought we were going to... Uh, we were always encouraged to read Mein Kampf, which, which I thought w- would be fascinating, and I thought uh, we'd have all these interesting discussions about it. I kind of thought it was going to be like this Nazi book club <laughs> <I
4: don't> <laughs> that is
1: amazing. The Nazi book club. Um <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's that's a comedy sketch right there. I'm just just if you want, if you're going to comedy, Karina, use that idea. The Nazi book club. Um Yeah, like, so like so like there's Mein Kampf. What are some of the other uh classic uh like Nazi texts?
2: Let's see. There's um The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And then right. a lot of the... We're also encouraged to read a lot from David Lane, um, the guy who authored the 14 words, We Must Secure the Existence of Our People and a Future for White Children.
1: Right, right, right. And so who who did the 88 words?
2: Uh, the, the 88 precepts? Yeah. That was David Lane.
1: That was him too? Okay. All right. 14... Yeah, because I have... On this, uh, people in the chat, there's a lot of 1488 type, or the number's 88 and stuff like that.
2: Of um, course, I'm pretty much guaranteed that's the ATM pin number of everyone in the NSM. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's awesome. It's their password for everything. Um, so, okay, so, you know, you join the movement, and... Um, you do you do genuinely feel like it's a positive experience um, when you first join? When like when do things within this movement? If if there was a point, was there a point where things started to sour? And then if so, what what was that point?
2: Um, I started realizing that the other guys in the group they were just typical skinheads. All they want to do is get drunk and then go beat up black people. They weren't really interested in studying national socialism or, yeah. you know, being a, a positive example of white people or whatever.
1: Right. Well, I guess that's another question. Were you were you ever involved in any uh, violent activity or attacks?
2: Actually, no. Not I. Um, the the other guys in the group did that among each other, but maybe because I was the only woman in the group, they didn't ever ask me to do anything like that.
1: So, I, I guess... Um another question I want to I ask you about uh, being a woman in this movement because I've had, I've had guests on my show that have happened to be women, women who are not racist and they would say something in the chat and literally the people who are you know um, proud bigots, uh, they'll attack them for being women. They'll be like, yeah, fuck you, you cunt, blah, 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 blah. Did you ever, did you ever feel that sort of pushback when you were in this movement, at least to your face? Uh,
2: not to my face, not, not among the people I've considered my own brothers. I think, in general, white nationalist men are not very good to their women.
1: Right. Because there was, uh, and you mentioned this too, and I've actually talked to people on on my show as well, you mentioned that certain members did have, you know, non-white children, or they had, they they were against other races, but not against fucking other races, I guess. I guess not for uh, themselves. What's that?
2: I guess not for themselves. I guess they had their own reasons for going outside of their own ethical code.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And so, but there's a double standard where like if a woman, if you like a woman in your movement got caught, like even looking at a black guy, she was in trouble. Oh, right. And yeah. yeah, So, I mean, I I wonder, and this is just uh, armchair psychology. Like it's like the identity of being white carries with it, with the, with these movements, these gender roles, like, where, like, yes, we're proud to be white people, but the white woman should serve the white man, and the white man is king of the house. Is that, is that, am I, am I way off on that?
2: No, I think, I think you're about right. Um And I think white women will, will generally say they go along with that. But one thing I've noticed is, um it's encouraged, you know, that white women have as many children as they possibly can, uh, yet yeah. very few in the movement actually do so. I don't see very many with you know six eight ten children even though that's what we were encouraged to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so did you? Um, I know that you you had a, a letter correspondence with uh, I think her name's Holly Ann Grisby. Yes. And uh, and um, I want to I want to talk about that in a second. But were there other movement in? Were, were there other women in the movement in the first movement that you joined the NSM?
2: Um, there were other women, just not locally.
1: Okay. Did you did you get along with them, or did you guys kind of... I mean, were you guys... Did Were you able to relate to them?
2: Oh, yes, we got along. We only see each other at rallies um, once or twice a year.
1: Right, okay, okay. Because um, you do mention also that, like, a lot of the times women do end up leaving because they didn't really get into it because they were racist. They got into it more um, to sort of, like... Impress this guy or whatever.
2: Right. Actually, and, uh, uh, during during my time in the NSM, we did have two women uh, leave. They weren't really members; they were just wives of members, and they ended up uh, divorcing their husbands because they weren't they just couldn't get along with all this.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. And so, um, okay. So you're you're part of the NSM movement. What made you leave this movement and go to the Northwest Front?
2: Mainly, I started to be embarrassed about the behavior of the NSM at rallies. I thought it was maybe yeah. this um, dignified display of white pride, and it was really just people shouting insults at each other.
1: Right, right.
2: And the Northwest okay. Front was really starting to appeal to me at the time because there were no skinheads in the group. I see. I to the realization I, I didn't like skinheads at all.
1: Right. The Northwest Front were more kind of, um, uh, were they more sort of like uh, mainstream racists? <laughs> uh.
2: Yeah, I I would say more mainstream. You know, they had um a lot of the, the pagan beliefs going on and a lot of them were sort of sort of older eccentrics and then um a lot of really angry, out of work blue collar types. But um really high high quality of people compared to the NFM, which isn't really saying much. <laughs>
1: right. And so, um Um, so, like, okay, so you go from the NSM to the Northwest Front, and you don't go to Montana just yet, right? You go to Seattle first.
2: No, Montana was before this, actually. I went, um, I moved to Montana in, I think, 2010. I was still a member of the NSM, but the Montana just doesn't have an active NSM chapter.
1: Okay. Oh, so what brought you to Montana, then?
2: Uh, April Gaty. We were going to be super best friends and do all kinds of fun white people stuff together.
1: And so for those, uh, for those of you who don't know, April Gady is the parent of Prussian Blue, right? Prussian Blue yeah. is uh, the, young, the two young girls who sang racist songs. Um, and I think Vice Magazine covered them. I think a lot of people have covered them. I think Louis Thoreau covered them in one of his documentaries on BBC. And those, those two girls, when they became teenagers, they ended up kind of checking out, right? They, they ended up leaving. Is yes. that correct? Yes, that's right. And then uh, April Gady remained, uh, I guess, racist or in the movement. Okay. So uh, if you, if you don't mind, just uh, if you could tell me a bit, little bit about your relationship with a- April Gaty. I mean, it seems like it's a, she brought you out from, she inspired you to move from Oregon all the way to Montana. So what, what was that like?
2: I felt I was doing the right thing for the movement for the white race that was uh, still the most important thing to me at the time. Right. I felt that, um, yeah, I still, I was still loyal to the NSM, but I, um, just the behavior of my own unit, I was ashamed of them. I mean, they couldn't even stay out of jail for two weeks in a row. So I, I I was always seeking, um, just a higher quality of, of other white races to be around. It didn't occur to me that this whole movement is stupid and the cause is stupid. I just thought, oh, well, I'm joining the wrong group. It's it's these skinhead guys or these, um, you know, these guys stomping around in little Hitler uniforms. That's the problem.
1: Right. Okay. And, um, and so um, I guess like, yeah, so my question would then be, um, you wanted something else. You, You probably, I guess maybe you didn't quite know what you wanted, but I guess the question would be like so you you knew like how stupid people were acting so what would have been some ideal activities for a, a white nationalist movement to engage in like politics well, or
2: um just generally you know it sounded like April had a whole um white white community going in Kalispell
1: Okay
3: I see because,
2: I think both she and uh, Harold Covington of the Northwest Front they, they build up their movement to be a lot more than what it really is.
1: I see. Okay. Um, okay, and so you get there and so through April Gaty, you you happen to you meet Harold Covington, who is the leader of the Northwest Front.
2: Oh uh, no, I actually met Harold through an NSM member.
1: Okay. While well, I'm I still see. living okay. in Oregon. Oh, okay. Did you meet him in person or did you just talk to him on the phone or something? Or
2: I met him in person. Okay. Um,
1: and so when you first meet him in person, were you, were you charmed by him? Or you, did, you, did he strike you as like a, a competent man?
2: I thought he was the greatest person I'd ever met.
1: Okay. Okay. What, what was it about him that was so great?
2: Well, first of all, he gave me um, several uh, of his novels that he'd written that were personally autographed to me and he gave me the, the Northwest front tricolor flag. Um, Yeah. And just the, the way he presented his whole, his whole group, it was, it was everything I'd been looking for. There were, um, you know, no skinheads, no loud, stupid drunk people beating up black guys with baseball bats and going to jail. Right. And he and April were actually pretty good friends at the time. So, um April wasn't exactly a member of the Northwest Front but she had something similar like that in Montana that I wanted to be a part of.
1: Okay. Okay. And so um you go to Montana and um and so um and so you're what was uh what was I guess going back to April Gaty, like how did you guys how was, how was, how, <clears throat> how was that time between you and April Gaty? like was it fun was it
2: satisfying um, it was fun it, at first, you know, like like it always is. For about mm-hmm. two months or so, we were just... I mean, I actually lived with her. We were just the best of friends.
1: Right, okay. Oh, so you were roomies. Okay. And so um, did did that relationship end up kind of souring?
2: Uh, yes. She she seemed to be genuinely upset about the fact that I could not have any more children. <laughs> um <laughs> I, she wanted me to pick up where she failed. I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, That's hilarious. I don't know if you heard about that whole um, white dating service she tried to set up in Kalispell so that more white babies could be born.
1: I think I did. Hear, I think I heard about that on your podcast. Is that still going on?
2: The whole dating service—the only thing it ever consisted of was April and a, a couple skinhead guys, and then she tried to introduce them to random white women. That that was the whole thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like just just white women who weren't in the movement, they were just they just happened to be white.
2: I don't know where she found the women. There there is a huge shortage of women in white nationalism. <laughs> it's not a place to go to pick up girls.
1: Right. Well, Can't judging from this chat room. Yeah, I, <laughs> God, I wonder why. Maybe we'll I mean I don't know, maybe
2: that why would I want to leave something like this? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just. This is
1: just me. I'm no psychologist, but maybe like the women don't like being called like uh, fucking cunt every two seconds, or you know, being talked about as sexual objects every two seconds.
2: I, I don't know. That's my. Funny um, that that's a behavior that they ascribe mainly to black men. I've never had a black man talk to me like that.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a thing. And that's a thing. That's a fascinating part of your podcast because at one point you said. You asked this question while you were in in the N S M movement of like, you you say to them like you know why are we acting like black people, and you but you you believed at that time that black people acted like that even though you'd never seen them act like that. Yes. So like I'm I'm I what I'm always like fascinated by is like sort of the psychology and like the pattern and how you kind of come from point A to point B, because like you know you're you're committed to this uh this idea of white nationalism but. You yourself are not necessarily like, you know, violent. You are not, you know, trying to like, you know, exterminate anybody. But these beliefs are very well held. So like how how, how is it that this like false belief has power over you? And I'm really asking like for, for not just for when you were in the movement, but when people are in this movement, how do these like kind of abstract ideals, like this idea in your head, a picture in your head of an ideal white nation and like the sort of idea in your head of like how other races act how does that have so much power when your real life doesn't doesn't match up with that
2: you know i think there are still a lot of people in white nationalism who have the idea that i did going in which is that okay black people and white people are different um they should remain separate Uh, maybe i don't personally like black people but i don't want to hurt them i don't want to harass them i don't want to um, drive them out of town. I would never even be a jerk to one in public. Just kind of right. peacefully coexist. And I think perhaps the people who who have that ideal, they're they're going to swing to one side or to the other. They're going to either decide, no, actually I hate all black people after all. Let's just get rid of them, or they're going to say, you know what, white nationalism is stupid. I'm out.
1: Right. Well, I, I guess like, but for me, I guess like sort of like the thing that kind of gets you involved in this and gets you up in the morning and, and kind of allows you to lead the nationalist movement, right? To, like, because, you you know, you were, like, a higher-ranking member of the N- NSM. So the thing that got you up in the morning to, like, really commit to this, what was that? Like, what was that, like, that fire? That fire of, like, you know... Like, was, that, was it so real to you, or was it something that just... That just sort of... I guess for you, like, was it real to you, or was it... Um, just something that gave you meaning that, that sort of supplied meaning in your life
2: I think that that was part of it. the meaning you know I had I all of a sudden had something very important to do. I had this group of friends that um, relied on me to set up these meetings and recruit other people, and just this feeling that, oh, these guys they like me, they take me to be their leader. They right. think I'm doing a good job, and I wanted to I wanted to keep doing good for them.
1: And so, but like there was not really, you. it, it wasn't like a genuine, you were not motivated, motivated by this genuine hatred in your heart. Am I right about that?
2: Right. I didn't just um, have this seething hatred of, oh, we got to, you know, we got to kill all these other non-white people. It was more just um, wanting to be proud of my own race. Which now, I mean, I I don't really see any point to that. I don't see anything wrong with um, being proud of your, your appearance or your heritage. But then, again, I don't see any point to it either. I didn't do anything to become white.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I'm right, proud yeah. of
2: things that I worked for.
1: Right, right. Um, just, just for those of you uh, just now joining us, I am speaking with Access Sally. Uh, her real name is Karina Burt. Uh, she used to be a member of the National Socialist Neo-Nazi movement and the Northwest Front, which was another white nationalist movement. She has since left the movement. Um, I'm going to post her website here for you guys to check out her uh, work. Here, she has a podcast and she has some photos of her bodybuilding work, which she is very committed to now. Um, sorry, I'm just going to move. I'm just going to move this along. Um, so you join the Northwest Front, and then and and you know you find that the Northwest Front is like, oh, this is a new step in this sort of like world that I'm in. When does yes. that sour?
2: Um, well, okay, what What else I liked about the Northwest Front was that we were encouraged to be normal, to blending, you know, no right. trashy tattoos, no shaved head, um, no jackets covered with white power stickers, you know, that, that all has to go. We're going to be just normal-looking white people. Okay. So, I mean, that was a relief. Um, and then I, you know, I was put to work right away, mostly a lot of office work and then um, uh, being the voice of Axis Valley on Harold's Radio Free Northwest, the the internet radio show. Right. So I felt like immediately I was working for the revolution. And then I think what started to go wrong there was um, just being around Harold Covington on a daily basis for what amounted to a -a 40-hour-a-week job. You know, you get to see a lot of things about him personally that you – Things that just didn't occur to you. Like he made a lot of money in donations from people who thought they were funding the revolution, but it was just all going to him, his own personal expenses. Right. And I mean, now I'm glad that they weren't funding this terrorist operation. It was just going to hot dogs and tobacco and Netflix. (laughs)
3: Um,
2: (laughs) But I I felt kind of weird about, you know, sending out these mass fund appeals and then just seeing all the money go to Harold um right and then Harold's um obsession with my own, my personal family situation with the children that at the time even though I I was still committed to the movement I didn't want my kids involved just because of the the kind of people I'd come across and I was keeping them far away from it and Harold just he was not happy about that at all he thought you know there there are two white females they're going to be of childbearing age one day they can provide us with more of our kind and I wasn't turning them over to the group,
1: right, okay, oh okay, I see, and so you were not when when you were um so when you were in the movement, were you um you were not trying to raise your children with those values, like you weren't teaching them the precepts of white nationalism, is that correct?
2: They were pretty young for that, I think um the youngest was five at the time, okay and I, I wanted them to to share my ideology, but I didn't want them to commit to any particular organization. Right. I didn't but, want I mean, them to, yeah. You know, I didn't want to bring them to rallies and have them wear the clothing and you know throw the the right arm salute like a lot of the other children were doing because they wouldn't know what it meant.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I guess I I mean like in just just day to day conversation, like when you hung out with them, you know, were you were you like sort of like, hey, watch out for that black guy.
2: Oh, no, no, definitely not.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, so you didn't, you weren't just, like, casually sort of, like, ah oh, these, Because, like, you know, it, it's interesting because in this country, like, I've just noticed it's so... People very casually will just say racist things. People who are not in movements will sort of just be like, oh, well, great. you know. I mean, I
2: was, I've been noticing lately how a lot of a lot of times um, people use the N-word is just kind of... They just throw it out into random conversation. They're not even talking about people. So they'll use it as... A way to refer to a common noun.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. And so, so, so like you, but you were pretty. It sounds like this is weird though, because it sounds like you were in this movement full on, but you were kind of conscious about not in, imposing this sort of racist stuff on your children.
2: Oh, I, I think at the time, I, you could say I, I would have encouraged them to be racist. Just, um... Uh-huh. I mean, they were so young. I didn't. I wasn't going to teach them racial epithets or anything that could get them in trouble. Right. Um, I just felt really strongly about not forcing them to be a part of a group when they're too young to decide for themselves whether they'd want to be in it.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. So, um, and, and um, on on your podcast, you mentioned, I have to bring this up. Your ex-husband was an opera singer. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: And is, is he still an opera singer?
2: He's a music teacher now. I don't, I think he still does some singing with his church.
1: Okay. I I just have to ask a very important question. Uh, It's on everybody's mind probably. So he was an opera singer, and you were in the neo-Nazi movement. How is your marriage not a – how is that marriage not a TV show? That's
2: amazing. (laughs) Well, I I wasn't in the movement while we were married.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, oh, I I don't know. I I just – that would be great, like – uh, it would be a great TV show. So if you go into show business, Karina, this is a this is a pitch for you. Yes, I th- I think you could. I think your 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 whole life could be a TV series. Um, <laughs> and so actually, like you remain clean. You're you're off drugs. You're still off drugs when you go into the porn world, and then the neo- and then the white nationalist movements. Is that correct? Yes. And you don't even drink, right?
2: Um, I do drink actually. When but when I was first doing movies, I didn't drink at all. I didn't. I um, had my
1: first drink until I was 28. 28, okay. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and do you, do you drink now, casually, or otherwise?
2: I'd say every few months.
1: Okay, cool. Um, I had another question. So, okay, so going back to your story. So we're in the Northwest Front, and Harold starts getting really weirdly obsessive about your children. Um, I, I And it sounds like from... What I listened to on on your website, this is like the breaking point of of the of just being part of any white nationalist movement. There's somebody else in the movement that related weirdly, either threatened your children or related weirdly to them. Can you talk to me about that?
2: Oh, uh, yes, that was somebody in Montana. Um, he again, somebody who had a child who was not white, and he just had he felt profound shame for that. Yeah, and he um, became obsessed with my children thinking that he would like to raise them as his own and was very shocked that I did not go along with that.
1: Yeah. Okay, so and so he was he was really pissed off that you didn't go along with his little agenda here and so did he start making explicit threats towards you and the children?
2: Um not really like things that he was going to do, but just things that um you know, like, if if you know what's good for your race, if you're not a traitor to the movement, if, um, if you don't want to be one of the women who wind up hanging from a lamppost when the revolution comes, you know, things like that. Really. <laughs> right, okay. So, <laughs> so um... still oh, stole um, several photos of them, a photo album. Oh, really? Disgusted that it ended up with him.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so you tell Harold about this guy, and then Harold sort of doesn't take your side, right? He he kind of protects this guy.
2: Right. He says that I basically have no proof of this, which I was holding a video camera the whole time. So no, I don't.
1: Yeah. And so, um, and so I need to. Oh, sorry, I forgot to ask you about this. So during the time that you're in the Northwest Front, is this when you sort of exchange letters with Holly Grisby?
2: No, I was uh, writing to her when I was still in Portland in the NSM because her husband had just joined and he asked me to write to her.
1: Okay. Is this before her crime spree?
2: Yes. I was shocked okay. to hear about that.
1: You were what to hear about that?
2: Very surprised.
1: She she didn't strike you as a violent person?
2: Um just I mean not like that. I figured she went out and beat people up the way the other guys did, but not nothing this extreme.
1: Right. So did you like uh, during this time and and I guess like in all of these movements, um, all these different flavors of white nationalism, like whenever whenever um, you sort of saw secondhand violence or you saw these plots to like you said, you know, you saw that there was like, um, you know, a terrorism plot that Harold was trying to fund. And then you even mentioned like there was a bombing of like Asian restaurants in Montana like, wh- how did you how did you process that? What was that like witnessing that?
2: Um, I remember at the time. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with the story of the the uh, backpack bomber in Spokane. Yes,
1: the yes, the, 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 yes, yes. I am, I am.
2: Yeah. I, um, at the time, you know, when that story came out, Harold told everyone, you know, it's this never happened, this is a media fabrication, there was no bomb, this is just the Jews trying to make us look bad, and I believed everything he said um, for several months. You know, every time another story would come out, um, I was just, okay, yep, the Jews are going at it again, that's all they ever do. It just never occurred to me that um, Harold could be wrong about anything. Right. So every time I heard of things like this, I just either assumed, well, it was you know, the media making it all up or, um, I mean, these guys are my brothers. They must've had a very good reason for doing what they did. Right. I would have believed anything they told me.
1: Okay. So it was like the, the actual, like, um, the actual violence didn't like, it didn't give you pause until the backpack bomber, uh, until that, until that particular incident.
2: Right, okay. and, and that was actually another one of the, the things that soured me against the Northwest Front when Harold finally admitted that uh, it was not a hoax, this did happen, and that, uh, he he didn't come out and say that he supported the bombers' actions, but some other guys in the Northwest Front did.
1: I see, okay, okay. And actually, um, I, I watched a clip on your, on your website, it was a fireside chat about racism, which I, I recommend everybody watch this clip. It's... I'll try and find it and post it, but it's it's a really very very compelling clip because you talk about while you're in these white nationalist movements, you're still at a job and you're still working amongst people of color, correct? Yes. And so, like, and then the other side of that is you tell this great story about how um, there's a black coworker you used to bring in cupcakes, and um, there's a black coworker who loved your cupcakes, and you inspired him to become a baker. And then um you um I'm just going to find the clip. I'm not going to play it online, but I'm just going to find it and post it for people. Um, you know, you go and visit his bakery, and you're afraid because, like it's in a neighborhood that you know is considered black and get quote unquote "ghetto" because it's black. And you know this is a, this is the moment where you um, this is another very like compelling turning point in your life. Correct. Where like you realize you're being asked to kill and hate these people.
2: It's something that should they... have been a turning point. Um, but it wasn't. Okay. That that should have caused me to turn back right there.
1: I see. Okay. So why so why didn't it make you turn back?
2: I don't know. I think I was I was just so very loyal to the group. Like like I said, I would have done anything and believed anything for them.
1: Okay. So this is and this is go, this goes back to my earlier question. I'm really trying to get at the just at the psyche of what a white nationalist member is because you have empirical evidence of a black person being peaceful and productive like sort of like you have empir- you have a human being right in front of you but still this belief about black people and sort of loyalty and adoration which is not a physical piece of evidence it's an abstract idea in your head how does that win out over reality how does that happen
2: I think any white nationalist can also name you know a a black person or a person of another race that um, they would consider not that bad or an exception to the rule and then Mm -hmm. they're also surrounded by white people who are horrible to one another in every way Um,
1: right and they don't they don't call them out yeah
2: right right they don't they don't see that. Oh well, maybe um, if some black people can be good, some white people can be bad. Um, what's wrong with the way I'm thinking?
1: Right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's. I guess like it's a. I don't know, but it's these things are so powerful that it, they hold. They hold. A, what's in your head holds power over reality. It sounds like, and mm-hmm. it's very strange. And I'm trying to figure that out. So uh, you were mentioning um, you had to cover up your tattoos, basically, like while you are in the movement, anytime you'd go somewhere, right? Yes. Even at bodybuilding competitions when you started to make your way into that into that realm? Yes, I did. So um, did you have to cover them up? Because you said the Northwest Front had a rule about not having tattoos. Did they give you shit about your tattoos?
2: Um, They sort of frowned on it the day they thought they were kind of cool in the same way. Um, I just started covering them up when I was around people, not in a movement, just because I didn't want to deal with any kind of harassment right. or people getting too much notice.
1: So I have a question. I, I, I saw a picture of, of the Hitler tattoo that she used to have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is there? Do, 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 do these movements just have like their own special tattoo artists, or can you actually just walk into a tattoo parlor and be like, hey, can I get Hitler on my shin?
2: Um, it depends on the tattoo parlor. Most of them will not do it. Some of the white power tattoos are done by somebody you know, and the Hitler tattoo was done by a friend of mine.
1: Okay, who was in the movement, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have to say, I, the Hitler tattoo, um, you know, it's very, it's very detailed and actually kind of well done. So, like, if this guy like could use his artistic abilities for maybe something more positive, he'd have a better life, maybe. But also, the shading on the Hitler tattoo makes it look like he has long hair, which just made me laugh. It was like... Oh, uh, like,
2: so many people have brought that up.
1: It's like hippie Hitler. Like, if, if Hitler had actually gotten to become a painter, like he wanted to be.
2: <laughs> I I remember I called him one day because I said, look, everyone's saying that your tattoo looks like Hitler has a mullet. Can we maybe do something? <laughs> and he just he got boiling angry and said he had to take his blood pressure medicine.
3: <laughs> just of comment?
2: work. Yes. Oh uh, my God.
3: And he actually my...
2: does He does have his own tattoo shop now. I don't know if he's left the movement or not. I um, just haven't spoken to him anymore. I guess I, I didn't want to tell him I'd covered up his work.
1: I wonder if he only, I wonder at his tattoo shop if he only does racist tattoos. Like oh, no, if people does, are like.
2: He does tattoos for everything.
1: Okay, so it's like you can walk in there and just say, like, hey, can I get a picture of Willie Nelson? Whoa, I only do racist stuff here. Go oh, next no. door.
2: Okay. No, definitely not. He, he's done other work for me. He did my kids' names on my wrist.
1: Okay. Um, so, okay, so, you know, basically, you you have to leave the movement because your kids you, – you have detected – that your kids are in danger now. This is beyond you, and this is not fun anymore, basically, right? And, yes. this is, and, this, and so this is like sort of kind of like what I'm saying, where like, you know, having this loyalty and this adoration to this idea of white nationalism, is this also basically like where reality just smacks you in the face, and it's like, oh, that, this thing that I've been following and believing in is a fucking lie.
2: Yes, definitely. Um, and taking part in bodybuilding was a huge part of that, too. Like, I never... That was my first experience um being in such close quarters with people of their races um and I started realizing, well, you know these people they aren't really that bad, they've actually never done anything to me. they've never hurt my family compared to what these white supremacists have been doing this whole time And you know, who's who's the right. enemy here
1: right right, 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 okay, and so um and so so you finally leave, and you have to you have to kind of escape in secret, right. And you leave, like, a false paper trail, and you make your way back to the West Coast. hmm Okay. Um, or already, I, well, you're already, okay, sorry, I keep getting these your locations mixed up. But you leave a false paper trail, like, saying that you're in Montana, and you make your way back to the West Coast.
2: I was still in Montana, and um, okay. I left paper trails suggesting that I was in Alaska, some ah. suggesting that I went back to Oregon, and then okay. some that I was, just going to a different part of Montana, and then I took off to Washington.
1: Okay. Um, so I guess um, – so you're out of the movement. How long were you in the movement? To- for? What was the total number of years you were in that movement?
2: Maybe three years.
1: Three years, okay. Um, wow, okay. That's a very intense three years. Um, I wonder, like – so you, you get to leave the movement – and, I, you know, I read, I read this uh, piece you did for the One People's Project, uh, the letter that you sent them when you sent, you know, your clothing and all that stuff. Um, you you mentioned something that, you know, you say that you were fortunate enough to leave, but others aren't. Um, so I guess, I, I guess, like, what I would ask you as well is, you know, are you worried about anything right now? Are you worried about any repercussions? Because you're pretty, you're pretty out there. I mean, you're pretty... You know, and on your website and your podcast, you know, you um, you call people out, and you're pretty open. So, is it no fear at this point, or are you still sort of like Ugh, looking over my shoulder a little bit?
2: Not as much. I mean, definitely in the beginning it was. That's why that's why it took me so long to leave in the first place. I mean, I was still working for Harold for I don't know about six to eight months um, while I I had completely, at least in my own mind, denounced the entire movement. I was still working for him, still speaking on his show, still um, convincing everyone that I was a complete racist and that I wanted to start a violent revolution in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, going on like that for several months, um, just because I knew it was not... I could not physically break from them at that point. And then um, it was it was pretty scary when I finally did. Okay. But at this point now, I mean... You know, I wouldn't go posting my home address or um, sure. at school online or anything like that. But other than that, I mean, I don't, I don't walk around in fear anymore. I, I was saying I, I don't even uh, take a weapon with me anymore.
1: So I guess, like, so what? What led you to that point of feeling a little more comfortable? Because I mean, I, I'm just speaking for myself. Like, I'd, I'd be a little panicked if people were or people were threatening me in general.
2: I think just um, I, I reached a point where I be, I became willing to just um take the worst of what they were going to do to me. Uh, okay. And then I saw that it never happened because I mean, these people they're largely incompetent. I mean they believe right. every single one of the false paper trails that I set out. They're they're not really the brightest.
1: I see. Okay. Do you think do you think you would have stayed with the movement if it was actually like a competent operation?
2: I think um, if I didn't have the kids to consider, then who knows? I may still be involved today.
1: Okay. Okay. But you know, the kids made you like really confront reality. Because I always like I'm always confused because you know you're you're describing like you know people who are motivated by like this sort of like anger and fear. Um, and like it motivates them to not, not make such smart decisions. So like. How does like a place like the Westboro Baptist Church do it Because like, they have like lawyers and stuff like that, you know in
2: their but family whole, like I'm, i I don't know how they're a whole different breed altogether i It would be fascinating to spend a day with them,
1: yeah, because yeah, that's like a, I, think, that's um, gonna, that's,
2: I think each of the the members of that family is a lawyer or a lot of them are,
1: yeah. Right. Right. Well, you know, um, I'm going to I'm going to wrap this up a little bit. um, But I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, Oh, no. Where did my chat room go? Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, So um, what I wanted to ask you is. You, you, I'm going back to your one pod, your one people's project letter. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were able to leave, and others have not been fortunate enough to leave. And, and there's some stories recently of uh, Derek Black and some other folks leaving the movement. Um, and there, I mean, there's there's been there's been uh, there's been that uh, since the beginning of time, probably. What like? Do you have any advice for people? There may be people out here listening on the show, despite a lot of the loudmouth chatters here. Um, do you have any advice for people who maybe want to leave the movement?
2: Um, I would say, you know, if you if you find yourself um, so afraid for your own safety that you do involve a law enforcement agency, you might find that those are the people who are actually going to treat you like a human being. Um, your white nationalist brothers will not. The they never were your brothers, they never were your friends, If you find yourself wanting to leave them, just believe that you have a very good reason for doing so. And if you want to leave, I mean, really, really leave. Don't don't, um, drop out of the group and then join another group. You know, it's just, it's easy to kind of get recruited by other groups, um, they'll approach you and say, okay, I know you just left this group because of all these things that happened, but I can assure you that in my organization, we don't have those kinds of things, and we don't have those kinds of people, and we're good at weeding out the problem individuals. And that's not the case. Every every single white power organization is like every single white power organization. Yeah, I guess... Th- this is
1: another question I have about violence in general, I want your take on it, because... um. You know, a lot of the people who've called into my show here, they'll they'll get that same rap that you know, that you were just now describing of like, oh well, you know, our group, we just we're not we we're not a hate group. We just love our race and we don't advocate violence. But then like you have people like Wade Michael Page, that guy who shot at that Sikh temple uh last year, um, and you have like some of these these like sort of dudes like the, the backpack bomber and folks like that um, you know, they pop up and they cause some real violence and they cause some real damage. So I guess I, I I guess, you know, there's now like with this guy Derek Black, I'm sure people are threatening his life now. Um, people threaten your life. But I guess like what I'm sort of sometimes torn about is that you're describing a group of people who are really incompetent at carrying anything out, but then every once in a while, one of them does carry something out. So, I mean, right. is, is this situation – like, how serious think, is the threat? of?
2: Well, I think those are the people you really have to fear, the people who didn't um, make it public that they were a part of an organization like this.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the lone wolves, as we call them.
1: Right. So those and are the people who don't, the people who aren't public about being involved in a hate group, are the ones who tep- typically end up being violent. You're saying,
2: right? As opposed to you know groups like the NSM who will post pictures of themselves everywhere with their assault rifles and their flags and salutes. I mean, I, I wouldn't worry too much about those people. Right. They, I mean, they make themselves look scary and intimidating, but you know they're just they're just showing off for the camera.
1: Right. Right. But I, you know, I guess uh, just to sort of, um, to bring it on home, um, you know, you're, you're somebody, you, you've taken a lot of risks in your life and you, you've taken some very like extreme risks in your life that like your average person probably wouldn't do. Um, You've been drawn to certain things. Like, I I just want to ask you, like, you know, you were drawn to like the funeral work. You were drawn to, you know, um, the type of porn that you were doing, and then you know the white nationalist movement. Is there like, do you feel like, as they would say on the show Dexter, that you have a dark passenger, or there is there some sort of like fascination in general with the dark side of life for you as a human being?
2: I I guess um I really don't feel that there is, and especially with the the funeral homework, I never never really saw that as dark and depressing. I, I saw it as um, very important work something okay. that I, I was very honored to take part in. Um, right. I think, you know, a lot of people, having never worked in that kind of environment, they they wouldn't understand that it's not all about, you know, death and gore. Right. Um, but okay. as far as now, I mean, I, I can't, I, I don't have anything else on, on the horizon. I don't have another, you know, weird thing I'm going to get involved in coming up. I think I might... Just gravitate toward the mundane, and you know, stick to bodybuilding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just get yourself lift heavy up. things and take care of the
1: kids, and I don't know, go to bed early. There you go. Yeah, do some yoga, maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> um, I, I, but I wonder. Like, I mean, you, you're
1: somebody like you know, your your sort of extreme personality and desire for extremes got you into these situations. Do you think that, that, like, that part of your personality got you out of this situation as well? Like, that sort of, there's a certain strength in, like, the extremism, just as a, not not racial extremism, but, like, just as a human being, that's what saved you ultimately? Do you feel that way?
2: I think maybe I burned out quickly. Um, Just like with my my heroin addiction, I only carried that on for two years, and then I just realized I am so sick of living like this, and I don't want to see just how much worse it can get.
1: Right. Well, that's like. I mean, this is like. I. I love this because like. I. I love that like it's very direct and matter of fact the way that you got out of these things because, like you were I know I listened to your podcast about Derek Black and you mentioned you were just like there's nothing magical about what's happening he uh he just decided to bounce and he he just sort of saw through it and like so I think like and I, I'm I'm really offering this as like that's a great message for anybody out there. I think in in any situation, like not just in a white nationalist movement, but like if you're in a bad situation and like that thing inside of you is just saying like, Oh, I don't feel this anymore. You don't need like a big event or a big story to get you out. It's just like, you can get out. You can actually walk away from it. It may take some work, but you can get out and it it doesn't take a superhero to get out. Really. Do you feel the same way?
2: Yeah. I think, I mean, Depending on how, depending on your ranking in the movement, um, I mean, that can kind of make it harder to get out. The longer you've been in, the higher up you are, um, the more you know about the other members who may start to worry when you leave and wonder, oh, what is what is he going to do with this information that he knows about us?
1: Right, okay. Um, well, you know, I I asked all the questions I wanted to ask. I, I This is... Been so enlightening and so fantastic. Did you have anything that you wanted to address or cover that I haven't asked you about?
2: Well, what exactly is the Hate Project? Who are you?
1: Oh, it's a good. That's a good question. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> it's it's such a ridiculous idea. Um, I, I I'm not going to give out my name because I've I've kept the show anonymous and and um, so I'm just uh, you know I'm not going to give out my name. Um, but you know I'm a. I'm somebody who's just very fascinated by these topics. Um it was a show about um I, I can explain why I started the show. Uh, it's I don't think there's really an honest discussion about race and racism in this country. On the one hand you have like, you know, your racist people and your bigots who are just throwing out epithets and being hateful and that's all. Then on the other and then on the other end, you know, you have like kind of the more liberal pc side where it's like we have to tiptoe around this let's not talk about it let's just not talk about it because it's uncomfortable but these ugly feelings still ferment and they still are there within us and so and then you have like a third way where people like are kind of like racist by joking about it which is fine that's the value of jokes i mean i've been involved in comedy in my past and like it's that that's great and it's it's that's great there. But like, for the most part, it's like joking without any sort of like saying anything real about it or any reflection. So what I've been, what I've been trying to do is have a show and I've purposely kept it anonymous to have people call in and let them and, and sort of explore where people are coming from, what their real feelings are like that weird gut of hate, like that feeling of hatred in somebody's gut that motivates them to do shitty things or motivates them to like be afraid of another group of people and it's sort of a way of talking it out it's anonymous just so that we can you know um so that like it's like hey i'm daryl williams at uh, chase bank and then they get fired the next day i mean nobody's going to call in and do that so i kept it anonymous part purposely to take away the burden of identity and allow people to explore these feelings these sort of Ugly feelings, or whatever you want to call it, and I, I guess it's a safe place to explore unsafe topics. Um, did I answer your question?
2: Uh, yes, basically. I, I was just wasn't sure if you were like a student doing research, or maybe a former hate group member yourself.
1: No, no, I'm just a just a just a, a regular guy. So not extreme. I probably... <laughs> I probably should be doing better things with my time. This show has been a ridiculous uh, journey. I I've for some reason the show has uh primarily attracted a lot of white nationalist people. Um and because like I've been I've been wanting to get everybody on involved. Like we have a you know, we have a couple of callers who are like, you know, not white nationalists. Um you know, I have an African agen- African American gentleman named Nash Radio who calls in and he makes some great points and he he challenges people on here a lot. But like, you know, I have not had enough I've not had enough women on the show. I've not had enough people of color calling in. um, And that's probably the fault of these white nationalist people on here. I don't know. Um, So that's, that's, that's the crux of the show. I've been doing it for a little while. Um, I may be ending it soon and moving on to something else, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Kind of like how you left your movements. (laughs) Did I answer your All question? Right. Oh. Is this... uh, yes.
2: Yeah? yes, you did.
1: Did you want to take a phone call? You don't have to, because I've kept you on for a really long time.
2: Well, are people calling?
1: There's this guy named the Chad 80. He's kind of mad at me for not letting him call in. Do you want to take this call with me? Sure. Okay. And, and if he's a dick, I'll I'll kick him off. Okay. All right. All right, hold on. The Chad 80, are you there? Greetings,
4: sir. Name's Chad. How you doing?
1: Doing good. Hey, did you, did
4: you... I'm a black yes. man that talks to white nationalists That um, talks to them ha- And has interviews with them And I also have met some in my time The only white nationalists that I haven't talked to Is the skinhead movement And um don't think I can ever talk to them From what the girl is t- telling me But yes, I'm, I'm a black man that talks to White nationalists and black nationalists Okay. And where do you talk so them? I uh, talked to them on talk show, Facebook. Um, actually, and then, like I said, I met some in person. I believe that there is a system of Zionism. Um, pretty much everything that that they um, th- that they say is true. The only thing I don't like is um, you know them saying the n word and uh, doing doing the, the things of this nature. But you know. I've talked to many who who have who have talked to me about um white nationalism, and these same people as um your caller said do have non white children, and that's what I'm against. The same goes with black nationalists too. They might sleep with white women, so I agree with you on that point
5: Well,
1: okay. what's the point you agree with? okay well, i mean i don't I have a problem with people having mixed children, and I don't think Axi mm-hmm. Sally did either. I'm just unclear about what your point is, Jada. I'm
2: sorry, sir. Did you mean having mixed-race children and then being in a group like this?
4: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, there's a lot of – there's some white nationals that actually have mixed-race children. I'm not going to say any names whatsoever. And um, some of them have told me up front, you know, um, I am the first human being on this planet. You know, I – my people were here first. I'm not, and again, I'm not going to say any names. But I believe in going against one common enemy. Um, Marcus Garvey um, teamed up with a Klan leader so he can get funds to leave Africa. That's documented also. And um, in the 60s and 50s, believe it or not, you'll, you'll hear about a name about George Lincoln Rockwell, who was part of the Nazi Party, teamed up with Elijah Muhammad to to commit um, separation, and George Lincoln Rockwell actually worked closely with the uh, the nation of Islam, and he died in 1967 by his own man, George Lincoln Rockwell, and as you know, Malcolm X died in 1965. I don't believe in separation of the races, but I believe in having a real conversation on race, whether they say it the inward or not, but at the same time, you know, talk about the problems in both races and don't just say black is worse or Hispanic is worse. That's the, and I have videos talking about, you know, what they say or, you know, basically criticizing them on what, on what they say or what um, goes on, you know.
1: Mhm. Well, that's, that's that's what my show's about. That's cool, Chad. That's what my show's aiming to do.
4: But I don't call it hate speech, I just call it, um, I'm I'm against political correctness, I'm just saying, say whatever you want, just don't threaten anybody, but just, um, you know, don't be a dick, you know. Oh,
1: same here, man. Why would you want to
4: talk to white nationalists? Yeah, I mean, as a black man, I get that a lot, by black, by both sides, but... The fact is, there needs to be a conversation about race. I got no hate for them. They're against one common enemy. And I've called into white nationalist shows. I call the Christian identity, Klan. Um, mm-hmm. I've been interviewed on a white nationalist show last week for about 10 minutes, but um, <laughs> it's uh, better than nothing and it has 500 listeners. Um, but yeah. Um, and, that, and there's actually a problem with that also with women in, in the white-and-ass There's a very shortage of women. I've actually noticed that too in the Occidental Observer, you know. So Sally's right about that point.
1: Yeah, well, so, like, like how do you do – you, do you only talk to them online or do you meet them in person?
4: Sometimes I meet them in person. Uh, most of it is online, Skype. Talk to them on my radio show, YouTube. You know, and it's just having going against one common enemy. So, you know, I got nothing, nothing to hate against them unless you know they are hypocritical in what and what they say. You know, they say they're pro-white, but you know, sleep non-white at night, just like a black narcissist is pro-black and sleeps um, white at night. So, you know. Right.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, good good for you for encouraging an honest dialogue on these subjects. That's that's certainly my agenda here, too. So I I respect anyone who tries to do that, man.
4: Yeah, but Sal, I think it's very uh, – I mean, people are saying, you know, you're a traitor, but I mean, it's your, it's your decision to get out. And, you know, I would love to uh, have you on my show to talk about these things and talk about maybe some hypocritical things that do happen in a movement when you were there,
2: you know. Oh, I definitely could go on and on about that. I, but I have no problem with um a a group of you know worthless trash like this considering me a traitor. I'm glad that they no longer consider me one of them.
4: Yeah. Well, I'd have to have black on
2: too to talk about to talk about it. Maybe to go maybe do a
4: debate with uh, white nationalists versus white so-called traitors. You know, I already I actually have debates for black nationalists versus white nationalists. So you know. Very, very edgy conversation, but good. So like, what's, what, are your, um,
1: what are your conversations like with the uh, black nationalists?
4: Same so thing, Zionism, racism, racism against black people, um, anti-blackness right. with white people, it's anti-whiteness. Um, it's pretty yeah. much the same thing. I believe that the media is Zionist, and it's against black people and white people and the collective of peoples across the planet. So
1: are you, are you you consider yourself an anti-Semite? Because I feel like that's where this is going.
4: I wouldn't say anti-Semite because Semite means afro attic, And Russian TV talks about Zionism, too. So.
1: Okay. I guess the Jews. Are you against the Jews?
4: There are Jews who are against the um, Zionism, so no, sir.
1: Okay. Um, okay. Well, I mean, did you did you have any other comments for what we've been discussing all night? That I mean I, I need to respect my guest here, Karina. Yeah. So, um I mean did you have any other comments or questions for her that, you know, that we didn't address in our in our hour plus conversation?
4: Yes. Um, so basically what I mean, you got out, but so basically you're saying that you ha you have been threatened, Miss uh, Sally? Uh
2: yes. Yes. Nothing I would really take seriously at this point though.
4: Okay, so they threaten you by online, or did they come to your house and what did they do?
2: It's it's all just been online.
4: Okay, well I'll, I'll send you an email to see if you want to come on and uh, maybe we we can talk about it. But thank you for for letting me on, on the show, Mister um, the Hate Project.
1: Well, you're welcome anytime, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right, dude. Thank you.
4: All right, well.
1: Um, Let's see. Um, I, you have been, Karina, you have been incredibly generous with your time with me tonight, and this has been a wonderful conversation. I am going to post your website down here. For anybody who wants to learn more about uh, Karina Burt's, a.k.a. Access Sally's story, go down to that website, www.accessallyraw.com. I know that you're going to be traveling for a little while, right? So you're probably not going to do any podcasts uh, anytime soon. Um, I would
2: recommend if if anybody is brand new to all of this, I would recommend them starting the January podcast. I think the first three or four should give you any anything you would want to know about exactly why I left all this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's there's plenty of material on there. It's it's really a very you're doing a great job with the podcast. It's a very very stimulating and interesting podcast, and you have a very unique life story. And I I thank you so much for sharing that with us tonight. And thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it.
2: All right, thank you everyone.
0: All right, thank you. Have a great night.
2: Thank you.
0: It's me again, Roy Koshi. Well, that was me that you were just not listening interviewing Karina Burt, but it's me from 2019. That's what I mean. So, uh anyways, um after uh Karina hung up, I interacted with people in the chat room. A lot of them were saying talking that shit, you know, just saying der- derogatory things. Dragon 1488, the resident Klansman, uh, he was telling me that I was kissing ass because she was on my side, and I argued with him about that a little bit, Um, and so I edited all that out, and so um, anyways, coming up is going to be the phone call from uh, the white nationalist uh, pastor, quote unquote, Visser. Um, uh, so I'm just giving you a warning right now. There's a lot of hateful language coming up. So if you want to tune out, you're more than welcome to tune out. Um, I won't be offended because I won't know. And if I was offended by that, I'd be the biggest asshole. So, um, anyways, just giving you a fair warning. Uh, he reacts to, uh, Karina's interview and just very, just spewing a lot of hate. The Chad 80, the African-American that I was talking about, he calls back in. You just now heard him. And, um, Weirdly enough, like they kind of, uh, they both talk about Zionism, uh, kind of in a way, the Chad 80, like Visser hates Jews, obviously, as a white nationalist, but the Chad 80 kind of is, they're kind of trafficking towards like the stereotype of the Jews running the media, um, kind of close to anti-Semitic adjacent, I don't know. But anyways, uh, fair warning um, if you want to listen to this or tune out. So it does devolve into chaos. And then um, Jeremy Visser also cites something called the color of crime. He he keeps pushing this narrative that black people commit more crimes. He cites our own government, the Department of Justice. I try to press him on that. And then he cites this uh, document called, or this, I don't know what it is, like, It's a tract or something called The Color of Crime. It was put out by uh, Jared Taylor, a white supremacist named Jared Taylor, his institution, Uh, American Enterprise. um, I think they go like by New Century Foundation, American Enterprise. I will uh, post a link about that, uh, the SPLC uh, page about the color of crime. So uh, here you go. Um, I'm just adding this because this is part of the show, and sometimes it, it just feels like sometimes there's a futility in debating certain people when they're just this far gone, even offering facts and truthful statements.
1: Oh, I have another phone call. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, guys. Hey, uh, Pastor Visser, are you there?
5: Yes, how are you doing?
1: I'm okay. How are you, sir?
5: Oh man, I'm a little depressed after hearing that interview, man. Talk about a washed-up, miserable failure of a bitch. My gosh. Oh, that's not this, nice. This chick is going off talking about Harold Covington's Pacific Northwest group. I think pretty much anybody in white nationalism knows that he's an off-front to white nationalism in the 14 words. He's a joke. Talk about defeatism. You want to give the South to the Negroes and have all the white people run up to Washington? I lived in Washington for five years, and I'll tell you one thing. The faggots in Portland, the faggots in Seattle wouldn't lift their wrists to do anything but probably smoke a joint.
1: Okay. What about the, what about the faggots in Eugene? What would they do?
5: In Eugene, Oregon? Yes. Well, according to Harold Covington, supposedly they're going to have a great northwest migration, and all the whites are going to run up there. That's that's okay. defeatism. That's ridiculous.
1: Let me uh, just, in all fairness, I think I think my guest is calling back in. Let me just see if I can get her back on here. Yeah, hey, Corina. Do? Corina, is that you again? <laughs> guest number eight. Oh, what in the fuck? Okay, that was kind of scary. Hey, oh, Carino dessert.
5: Bert, That's some ridiculous crap right there. You know, and I don't think that's why really... Did, why does that why, 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 why is that Well, I mean, mad, come on, so... let's be honest here. We're talking about a chick who does bondage porn in full Nazi regalia, even before she got involved in Chomo Lindstein and Harold Covington's erroneous faction that no so one... Telling on... me...
1: So, Pastor, you're telling me that... Uh... Bondage porn with Nazi regalia does not turn
5: you on. <laughs> I don't think it turn on anybody who's sane. I don't think the look of that transgendered post-op transsexual would be appealing to anybody who didn't have issues coming out the gate. And I think your chat room this evening would agree with me. Excuse me, oh, Pastor, yeah. uh, v- Visitor,
4: whoever Sorry, you, you are, dude. Why the, why the hell did you call me the N-word the other day, man? You know, for being on a show. So, uh, I mean, why are you an asshole? <laughs> when did I call that's you this, a, a news guy? You called me in a, ch- in a chat room, man. I mean, you're uh-huh. being an asshole to me. What did why I call I have you, a neighbor? neighbor? what, I call,
5: what I call you, neighbor? What's this N word? I called you nigger. Nigger. Oh.
4: Okay, and you're a racist
3: cop, yeah, cop so, girl. Well, you're a racist. Fucks, all too. You, you know what's ironic about folks? Like you live in Georgia, right? Bad. You F live you. in the Dirty
5: South, right? And every single F one of you. you is racist in the ghetto. But so try to get some F white you, shit to talk about liberalism, you call tolerance, people and names. peace. You're, You're a punk, names, You're a punk, Chad. I'll You're meet you pump, anytime you fricker. want. You're a punk. Oh, no, God, guys. <laughs> Chad ain't nothing but a punk. He's, He's one, one of these fake anti racists who's trying to get in white girl's pants like Karina Burt, who's a blamish hey, on white man. Man, you are such
4: a racist mother man. You Freak bet
5: me. I am, buddy. I preach it. The Bible is, God is. You're an abomination, a mud person. So let's Hello, 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 hello. Can you guys hear me? I can
3: I hear you.
5: Okay. Uh
1: look. I, I don't mind people arguing and going at each other. Don't don't start threatening each other. There's there's no. Uh.
4: I'm not no, even threatening. Man. man just said mud mud talking when his own race kills uh-huh. uh, has the highest suicide rate. I mean, come on now. Who what? Your race what? has the highest suicide rate. Your race is killing Jordy, your own dumbass. Job?
5: That's common sense. Duh. Where the fuck do you learn math, nigger? Public school. Of course we'll have the highest suicide rate. Of course we'll have the highest welfare rate. We'll have the highest car crash rate and STD rate. Well, actually, you niggers got us beat on that. we the, 12 world, percent of the, population. the world, Here in Atlanta, life, one in the high, four nigger booms like them. you is HIV positive, friend.
1: Hey, uh, Pastor Visser, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, are you planning on going to see The Butler starring Forest Whitaker and Oprah Winfrey? Are you never opening heard of it. Have, have you gotten your tickets for that yet? Never
5: heard of it.
1: Okay, hang on a second. Let me let me get my guest back on and I I in all fairness I gotta get her to Hey hey Karina, is that you again? <laughs> Who is this? Oh my god, whatever. Alright, hang on, I I got Chuck of Vancouver on the phone. Chuck of Vancouver, how are you, buddy?
3: Hey, I'm good. Hey, visser, suck a fucking. Ah, I got a cat. That ain't even, even fucking Chuck. you got butt pounder. That ain't uh, uh, even you a Chuck. You got <laughs> butt pounded in prison. You fuck boy. You're a fucking fuck boy. Bring that dumb nigger here. Dumb nigger, visser.
5: I love dumb it. Dumb
3: nigger Visser. That's your name,
5: right? Oh, see, there you go, Chan. He's calling me what you are. How you feel about no, that? No, that's
3: what you are, you dumb nigger. You're uh, the dumb uh, nigger. Yeah. Dumb nigger Visser. Hey, because some that's anonymous you.
5: fucker hiding behind Chuck's avatar... Give me I'm a big Victor. Trust a 10-point job.
3: Boy. You faggot, fuck You hey faggot, If I, I ever sense. saw you, Victor, I'd
5: treat you, you faggot. You know not I'm that, bitch. You can bring it anytime you want. You don't you know fuck anti boy. like you do nothing. And then you embrace the scourges of you know society. You. Listen to you this know bitch talking you. about white nationalism is bad. you never hit the wall. You
3: hit the wall.
5: You're a
3: punk. You're a punk hiding behind who?
5: You ran. <laughs>
1: hey guys, uh, so what I don't
4: understand Ebonics, we... Chad. Sorry, guys. Not um... even talking Ebonics, even though most white people talk Ebonics. Around <laughs> my, my neck of the woods, that's for damn hey, sure. <laughs> right? Guys, no, he's guys, a, a dumb nigger.
5: That's shit. why he doesn't
3: understand. Right, that's a really in Georgia, retarded right? nigger.
1: Oh my god, I don't like not being listened to. That hurts my feelings, and it I'm a listening, bro. Shit.
5: If you guys were
1: a type of pie, what type of pie would you be? Passer, Visser?
4: Mince meat.
1: How about you, Chad? What type of pie would you be?
4: Um, That's a... Wow. I really... That's really hard to answer. I mean, just get me. Just get me. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Chuck of Vancouver, what kind of a pie would you be, sir?
3: A fucking kill-the-nigger Visser pie.
1: Okay. That that's a good flavor actually. That's um at Denny's. I like that one. Yeah. You can get that at Denny's. Um
0: Hey Chuck, and Andrew, what's,
1: your, what's your what's your story, dude? I'm I'm trying to figure out where where you're coming from. What, like who are you associated with?
3: I'm not associated with anyone.
1: Like what what's your connection to this dude, Pastor Visser, here?
3: I have no connection God, to him. He's a goddamn nigger Visser. Why the fuck would I have a <laughs> connection to a fucking nigger Visser? <laughs> hey, wait, wait, real. chuck,
1: chuck, 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 chuck Chick, blah, blah. Are you, are you sound, like, you keep throwing the N-word around. Like, do you, yeah, are you he's yourself? Yeah,
3: fucking nigger, only white racists are niggers. There are no other niggers except for white, nationalist, faggot, maggot niggers. Thank you, brother.
1: So, like, Chuck, 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 Chuck. You would never, you're not, so when you say nigger, you're like, you're not trying to call black, like, you don't call black I do Hell no,
3: nigger. only fucking faggot nigger, fucking faggot nigger visser and all the white so, nationalists. They're the niggers. Do you know what the word nigger
4: means? Ignorance. ignorance. That it
3: means ignorance. ignorance.
4: There you go. That's all it means. So, I don't like nigger being pulled around, but you know Pastor is a no no, I don't care what anybody likes. The fact of the matter wait, wait, is pac- he's pac- the pac- one
3: pac- that <laughs> wants to fucking throw it around like it's a fucking predominant thing. It's its anybody. Anybody can get <laughs> it. Anybody <laughs> <is> <laughs> nigger.
5: means ignorance. Pastor Viz
3: yeah. is a nigger. Yeah. Yeah, like, like it'd be
5: ignorant pointing out to your average white chick that she has a better chance of contracting AIDS, sleeping with Bad one out, nigger than out, with a
3: hundred white men. They just They're They're
4: They're not not saying that they am They just saying that yeah. right? That's some bullshit, you know. are a little faggot. That's some fucking
3: bullshit, you know. You got touched by all you. You were locked up, you faggot. I've never done a crime.
5: I've never been in you, like these little niggers you idolize.
3: Yeah, you know oh, too. You're, you're a fucking child hey, molester. Yeah, you know why that, that is? Because
5: real, real criminals never get caught. Idiot are faggot.
3: Look your background <laughs> up, you dumb nigger. Admit the truth. Yeah, no hot yeah, nigger
5: it. means Chattery. You sound about uh, as smart as this bitch, Karina Burt, who lost her own children for being a uh, failure and a blemish on uh, society, uh, and then no wants to come guy and claim
3: that. Bitch. nationalism <laughs> Fuck caused <you>.
5: that. <laughs> Fuck she, she was never a white nationalist to begin yeah, with. She shit. was in a fringe group that was Blood. aligned with Como Lindstedt, who was arrested for fucking raping his own grandson. That's where he had been for. Your own and that's family. why they're Goddamn banned. Goddamn nigger lover! Fuck you! You're
1: a fucking weird. white nationalist
3: nigger visser. That's all you are.
1: Yeah, hey, Chuck, Chuck. The... Chuck. 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 I want to. I. I think your tactic is really brilliant. Calling, calling uh, other white people niggers. That's brilliant. Well, calling racist that, white people niggers.
3: Fuck anyway. It doesn't matter what race you are. You don't know what race I I am. say it does. He's a goddamn He's a goddamn nigger. That's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> nigger
5: bitchers. Chad, you over here, yeah, bitch. He How much no, you make a year? No
3: How much you make a
5: year, you. bitch? You're His nothing.
3: Your opinion ain't shit. You're, uh-huh. shit.
5: you're hiding uh-huh. behind...
1: I'm sorry. I had to mute both those guys. Chad, do you agree with me? Do you think that's a fun tactic?
4: No, I mean it was funny to see, see see them talk about you know nigger that nigger this. I mean nigger does mean ignorant, but it was used to black people to hurt them. Oh, and yeah. and guest fifteen teen has called me a uh, you know a sellout for doing. It. I mean I know I know where the territory comes, but I've made videos talking about how Trayvon Martin you know, didn't have to, I mean, I see what they say about me, Guest 15, but if you talk to me, then you'll know who I am and what, what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to have an honest conversation. But, you know, Pastor Viz is a, a, a damn ass, so I've talked to Christian identity. I've been on their show, so, I mean, that's what to expect. But, you know, but I'm not going to get called a called sell sellout just for talking to white nationalists. I mean, you know, yeah, I, you're I, trying explain to explain to I explain the history. I explain the history, bro. So
1: the chat, do you, um, do you have, like, a link to the videos that you do that you want to post down here?
4: Yeah, I mean, someone just said Trayvon's a good nigger now. But, I mean, I don't support Black Panther saying, you know, white people should die. But at the same time, you know, that that comes from white people saying you know, the only good nigger is a dead nigger. So, I mean, it can go yeah, of course, hold. yeah. Um, you yeah. Okay, said so link to the, video, the videos I do.
1: Yeah, do you have a link that you want to post in the chat room here?
4: Yeah, yeah, just give me a second. But you know, um, yeah, I follow white nationalists—the ones that will be be willing to talk, but not to insult me. You know, I won't insult them; oh. don't, don't insult me. But you know, I hear you. But I want to have to to be on my be on my show, so I so I can have a debate on black nationalists. But you know.
1: Okay, so hang on, I'm going to unmute him again. So. So, Pastor Visser, you were just now invited on Chad's show. Would you accept that? I was
5: at Chad's show today. He didn't have but four listeners, and one of them was my brother. Give me a break. Why the hell would I? He wants to come on my show because he knows every show I do 75 listeners. He's ridiculous.
4: Come no, on! No, I had 20 listeners last week. Oh, okay. Okay. 20 downloads, come maybe. On, 20 is 30, yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor
1: Visser, can I ask you a question? Are you a real pastor, first of all? You don't sound like one.
5: <laughs> I bet I don't. I bet no, I, don't. I don't. I sure as hell don't sound like a Judeo-Christian pastor, do I?
1: Yeah, no, you don't sound like any pastor. You,
5: right, right. right. Think Maybe you pastor think about that. Maybe, then you should think about that. Then you should ask yourself why it is that Jesus and every single apostle and disciple of the Old Testament were locked up and considered criminals.
1: Because they were, they were rebels, and, well, they were trying to preach truth to, to power, right?
5: And uh, they were yeah, there. right, like, like in Christ's time. Who did he come against? The organized religion, the Pharisees of his time. He didn't go into churches. He went in them to pull people out. That should be your first clue. You hear the real right before you. If you're hearing what you want to hear, that's when you need to question. Mm. I'd rather be told the truth harshly than spoon-fed lies yeah. nice and sweetly.
1: Well, that sounds great. So... so, yes,
5: I am ordained through the line of Richard Butler, Wesley Swift. I am the legit Aryan Nations. I'm the people like Marty Lindsit, try to mimic and go down and pay Zog money to use my Aryan Nations name.
1: Why do you guys all hate the Jews so much? I'm just confused. Jesus was a Jew.
5: No, Jesus Christ was a Judean, friend. And nowhere in Scripture does it say anything even remotely to that. And if you know biblical history, you know that Judah was one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus Christ was an Israelite. In fact, he says in John 8:44 that the Jews are from beneath, that he is from above, that they have different fathers, that they have different places, they have different abodes. And Paul takes it even one step further by saying the Jews are contrary to every man, meaning any man who thinks the Jew is even human, according to the King James authorized Bible, isn't Christian. That's the okay, same thing well. the black
4: Hebrew Israelites say. It's the same thing, opposite skin color. Yeah, yeah, I know what it's the black Hebrews say. I know what they
1: say. So, Pastor Visser, why, why, what, what's what's with uh, you and Marty Lindstedt? Like, what's, oh, he's talked to me about you before.
5: On, he's, yeah, he talked about me. He's done 300 shows about me. Every single week, he's doing a show talking about my nutsack because he can't be me. That's why. Mm. He had to go down to Missouri, and he had to pay Zog, the state whom he rails against, I might add, being on Social Security, $25 to even use the Aryan Nation's name. He had to register it as a business. He's not ordained in any way, shape, or form. The reason he dislikes me is I preach the law of God, the law of Yahweh, 100% acquisibly. And the reality of it is, is pedophiles who've been accused as per two witnesses, according to the scripture, as Martin Lindstedt has, would be dead and put in the ground. And I vocally said as such, that's what the problem is between me and him. So he'd be better off never the law of God, being a convicted pedophile before he comes against the man who married a virgin, had five homemade children, home birth and home school, and know better than most of the people in the chat room.
4: Okay. Uh just to, I want you to respond I I want you to respond to them, the hate project, but I want to ask Pastor Vizer a question.
3: Okay.
4: Uh yeah, Visor, um if you want to talk during the show about uh, you know, doing an interview you can. You know, I can you know, I always try to see, see leave my number in the channel so you can come on, debate Dawah, you know, debate of Hebrew Israelite. You know, I wanted to see, you know, white Christian identity against um, black Hebrew Israelites. I always wanted to, you know, see that. So if you want to ever do that, you know, just uh, give me a call. I'd like calls. to
5: ask them, actually.
4: I'd like to ask a few black Hebrews how they get around the meaning of the word
5: ahadam or adam, which means white, ruddy with the ability to blush. I want to I well, ask, ask him how to get around Asian. the first yeah, chapter yeah, yeah. of I Revelation that says Asia. Jesus Christ is white. His head and his hairs were as white as wool. Okay.
1: But the region that he was in... Also, Asians can get blood in the face, dude. You know that, right? Asian flush?
5: Yeah, you ever heard of that? Yeah. yeah, Jews can get blood in the face, can't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, what's, So, how does it prove that he's white that, in the way that you describe it? I said ruddy. Adam. And how we can prove that is much later in the genealogy of David when he goes up against Goliath. I'm sure you know the story. Goliath mm. looks around, sees David, disdains him for he's but a youth and white and ruddy and a fair countenance. Song of Solomon goes on to explain how Solomon was white, ruddy, and the chiefest among 10,000 in the very first chapter. All you got to do is read it. The Bible straightforwardly tells you that the Israelites were white and ruddy.
4: Okay, okay. Well, this not a debate, has nothing to do
5: with blushing. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, um, let me. Uh, okay. So, what, Like, why are you so? Why are you so angry, dude, Pastor? Not angry. Why, why
5: you... To be honest with you, man, Martin about. Lindsay went on for months and months and months on this Karina Burt piece of crap in his own forum. Every time this chick would say something, he would turn around and post it in his forum under the title and nom de plume "Hot Nazi Chick." And all of CI rejected it. Almost half of white nationalism reject Mark Lindsay and Harold Covington coming out the gate because they're fringe groups that aren't accepted within white nationalism. And the moment this Karina Burt bitch turns out and turns anti, she can't shut up and walk off like anybody with half a sense. Now she wants to be the attention whore making the anti, anti-racist anti circuit like Lloyd Cochran and Nikki Nichols and every washed-up has-been that ever has been. What's she reaping? What's she sowing? Now Marty's attacking her, going off and everything else. Kind of ironic. But what I'm pointing out is that Karina Burt nor Harold Covington represent the 14 words nor are even fit to speech for white nationalism in general. She was a byword. I remember her little clips in the radio show. They were ridiculous.
1: Mm. All right, so Pastor Visser, why why are you so like why are you why are you why do you believe what you believe?
5: Why do I believe what I believe? I believe the Bible, verbatim, sola scriptura, every word that's in the LXX, the, the manuscripts, all the way back to the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic. That's fixed.
1: So, and and you you don't ever take into account that these these tri- these scriptures and these texts have been. Uh, edited reformatted do oh, king james for sure of
5: course they have do you ever take yeah, into just... account the fact that if there is a god he's in control of his word and even with the millions of errors there are in the king james version of the bible like jew being a mistransliteration of judite and easter being a mistransliteration of pascha or passover mm-hmm. that god can preserve his word exactly how he wants it in the year 2013 Hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't, I guess, but um, yeah, I know you
5: don't, and that's what it requires. See, anybody who believes in God knows His word can be felt, can can work through every generation, even now. Common sense, people are still being accepting, dying, and living, and being born and married under the word of God today. Hmm. Well, so you, you can turn what? thousand years if your own ancestors were all wrong your own grandma your own great-great-grandma every one of them were foolish fools but you'd be a fool to believe we're more illuminated in this day and age where idiots sit on their ass watching television instead of even cracking a book much less the bible well
1: what, like So why, why do you believe so passionately in this? Because like, we don't even know. These, these are all ultimately stories written by men. How do you, what makes you believe in it so passionately? It's I'm just curious. It's pretty
5: hard to believe in the alternative.
1: What's the alternative?
5: Alternative is this false bullshit that you all bitch and kvetch about nonstop. I tune huh? into these shows, and I hear everyone ta- – for example, take the targeted individual community. These guys yap and yap and yap, and they stop short of naming the Jew. Time and time again, can never point out the fact that the Jews own Hollywood and control it when the Jews themselves claim to. Can never point out the fact that the Jews own the baking industry when they brag about doing it. How's this one? The Jews in their own Talmud and their Jewish encyclopedia say Jesus wasn't a Jew and Israelites are not synonymous with the Jewish Khazarian people. So are they
4: lying? Yeah, see, this is the only thing that I can agree with Pastor Vizzer about about the Zionists who control the, control the banks and, and so on. I mean, that's not hate. That's been on Russian TV. That's been on different. There's been documentaries talk to talking about Zionism. The only thing I just wish he wouldn't do is just say the N word and hate and hate black people. I mean, that's the only thing. I mean, the same with the black no. people hating the white people. That's the only thing that's no. a problem with Vizzer. So well, I don't know okay. where you can stay
5: at in Georgia, but I stay down near Griffin,
4: and it is racially
5: segregated, and the yeah. Negroes stay on their side of the train tracks, and the white boys stay on there. And never the two shall meet, because if a white boy so in the ghetto at night, he should be arrested, and vice versa. I don't want Negroes walking around my neighbor's cars at night.
1: So it's segregated so where I live yeah. at. So yeah, chat, sir. It's, it's wrong for him to hate your group of people, but it's okay for him to hate this other group No, of No, people. no, no.
4: I, I specifically said... That uh, Zionist, I mean, he's putting all of them in the category, but I think it's the Zionist. Yeah, that's what he's doing. The he's Zionist not United. one. I don't agree with him po- putting all Jews in the same category. I just uh, stated that.
1: Well, a lot of Jews themselves are against Zionism too. I mean, you said that. Yeah, earlier. that's what I'm
4: saying. That's that that that, that part. But I'm, but I'm saying the Zionists. All right, not control it just, the things. Yeah, it, it but off,
1: it came off like you were agreeing with him, like when he was like saying all this Jew hate stuff.
4: No, I'm saying I said semi. I mean, do you, do, you, do you guys
5: even know what a Jew is? I mean, honestly, when you think Jew, you think religion? Well, you, know, you think
4: race? I mean, it's what, culture. What, what is a Jew? Actually, there's another question I want to talk about before we talk about, about, about the Jews. You said it's segregated, but, but you said it's segregated the town in Griffin, right? Like, the black people stay one, another way, another place. For the most part, yeah. after dark, yeah, definitely. Well, sure. well, why is it after dark do black people sleep with white people and white people sleep with black people? I know a lot of Nazis have have slept with non-white people. Can you explain that? Why is it? There's heathens and faggots and
5: bestiality people all over the earth. Look at Karina Burt. Why is it that anybody does anything? Why is it that God fire on Solomon Gomorrah? I can tell you what the Bible says. For race-mixing and going after strange flesh, quote-unquote. That's the 1611 authorized King James. Hmm. Think about it. You think this evil? is Have real? you ever
4: slept with non-white people before? Never. Never. Okay.
5: Never. I've never even. Never. Never. All right. And believe me, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I graduated with a 4.0 from Hollywood High School. All and right. You don't sound like up you grew up during the era of forced, mandatory busing. And I still never. Not a once.
4: And I so tell you what, your black right. women
5: hit on white boys a lot, Chad.
4: I'm sure you know and that. White boys hit on, and white boys hit on black women, and white women hit on yeah, black Yeah, what's your point? It's vice versa, well, you know. make it seem like it's all about black people.
5: Yeah, what the hell are, yeah. What's my point? Pastor,
4: Pastor, my, Pastor, my, point you don't sound, my point is, is oh well, I
5: see every black girl trying to hit on a white boy, and every black boy hitting on a, or every black boy hitting on white girls. Period. Okay.
4: And it can go vice versa. It happens on both sides. Sure, yeah.
5: yeah. sure, it goes vice versa. Sure, it goes vice versa. I'm not saying that doesn't, does it? But you're asking a question. Why does this happen? Hell, uh-huh. ask the ancient Babylonians. Ask the Roman Empire that imploded from within. The Assyrian and the Egyptian captivities of which all of their history was imploded through what? Miscegenation. How hard is that to prove? Hmm. You think America's not on the same exact brink? I think it is.
4: Oh, no, America's going to fall.
5: I mean, yeah,
4: that, there's no there's no point about that. America's going to fall because because of greedy politicians, I mean, and th- things of that n- nature. And, I mean, it, it is. I mean, no one, no, I mean, racist, non-racist, we all know that. I mean, Alex Jones talks about that all the time. But, I mean, oh, what I'm trying to do is, you don't like Alex Jones. I really don't like <laughs> Alex Jones. Um but, what I'm trying to do is just get a conversation going, everything of that that nature, and you know, I mean, I disagree with you on some points. I agree with you on some points, but I just don't but you know what I think there'll never be separation. Why? Because you're not gonna agree with this. The white people want black people around, the black people want white people around, yeah, you're right.
5: Okay, yeah, so then dude, like, why,
1: okay. yeah. so then like, why don't you just let people be then? Like, why are you? Oh, fighting I don't so care hard, what like? people do. You
5: think I care if people are out there race trading yeah, being targeted? Exactly. I don't. give are screaming at What people on. do? You care? You do you care. How do okay. I care? You think Dream I care? Over. You think I'm trying to convert you? Maybe that's because you've been brainwashed into thinking the Judeo-Christian lie that you need to repent, give your heart to Jesus, and accept Him. Maybe He don't accept you. Did you ever okay. think about that? I don't care about what Jesus thinks about me. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I know you don't. The scripture says there's 10,000 who haven't bowed knee to Baal. Why the world implodes and everyone race mixed even back then, go figure. Even Lot screwed his own daughter after he was delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. And mm. Yeah, there's no evil new today. But hasn't always existed on the face of the earth. Nothing new under the sun. It's a main concept. Wizard,
4: are you still in the chat room? No. You're not in the chat room anymore? Okay.
5: Well, my a I actually have a church.
1: So Visser, somebody's been asking, I, I've been neglecting its regal royalty. Um can you answer a question he says he wants to what's your opinion about uh, Charles Juba and August Crace? <laughs> well, I don't I don't know who the fuck they are. Who are they? <laughs>
5: They're, um, they're their own little factions of Aryan Nations. There's a lot of little different factions. After Butler died in er, earlier in the last decade, a lot of people sprang up all claiming to be Aryan Nations. I'm Aryan Nations this, I'm Aryan Nations that. And August Christ was one of them. And unfortunately, August Christ went on much later to go on the Jerry Springer show. With his daughters in a big clan, suit hopping around making a jackass of himself. And a lot of the Antifas love bringing that up as if anybody in white nationalism stands behind August Christ. Kind of stands alone, like Marty Lindsay Okay. Um, well, well,
1: there you go. Um, you know, guys, it's a whole world that I don't even know much about. So, exactly. I, I mean, I know.
5: Exactly. I should know about it, man. So keep doing your shows. You should know about it. All I'm trying to Dude. point out is that the, the Covington Pacific Northwest Front is an open docket of defeatism. Anybody with half a brain knows that sacrificing the South and fleeing like cowards to one centralized location where the enemy knows the coordinates to drop the bomb is bullcrap. And not only that, anybody who half a brain should know it'll never happen. It's written in a novel, a book, a work of fiction by a J.R.R. Tolkien wannabe, Covington. It's not reality. No one's going to do it. There'll never be a day of the rope. There's never going to be a quote-unquote physical race war. Common sense. Yeah. Wow. I'm glad. You, you said there's I'm never going to be.
4: be a race war?
5: Well, if anything, there's a race war that's already going on, And okay. I said there'll be no future ongoing blood in the street race outside of what we already see today, with Reginald Denny getting pulled out of his truck and beaten because of the crackhead of Rodney King. That's the world I grew up in, Negroes rooting and carrying their own asshole out of Hollywood, Burbank, and Beverly Hills, thinking it was hey, true. Pastor, you don't, you don't sound like... And there's, no, and there's
4: white people that, that, that rob and steal from other white people in, in trailer parks. Really? Where, I mean, uh, you know, I
5: look at Ireland, no, and I no, don't see that them that looting that and car that jacking. And they have more crime, and they have more poverty over in Ireland. I wonder why that is. How come every time there's flash mobs, there may be one white wigger in the whole group?
4: But you don't see white boys doing that unless they're idiots. White pick boys up in do it. There it. There are instances where white boys steal, kill... And do the same thing that on both sides. There's always of instances of them doing. You what can't I'm just pointing out i not say there's not black flats,
5: United, but United white States government at US.gov, dot, d- dot the Department of Statistics and Department of Records, our own government, which you can look online, says that 12.5% of the population, that's you, Chad, the Negroes, commit 80% of all crime in America, period. Now that's you do ridiculous. the math. That's what they're reporting, I,
4: that's what they... But hey, the crimes, God. okay, they the crimes are not violent crimes, Chicanos they're low-rated low like drug offenses. They're low-rated drug offenses, that's what they are, not murders.
3: That's or true, killing. actually.
4: No, that's it isn't true. true. According
3: to the I, Department I, of I've Justice, looked at,
5: right now, dot looked gov, it up. our own government says that, li- that blacks are 100% more times more likely to commit violent crimes than whites. That's a statistic you can look up anywhere. And, and then, Chad, if you're going to Stormfront even or David Duke, you should know that one.
4: That's but that's not sense, true. Right. I mean, I agree with. I mean, I agree with some things the man says about family and things of that that nature. And thank you, I do go on Stormfront from time to time. I'm actually a member on there. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I haven't been. Okay, but I mean. Wow, this is – I mean, we're disagreeing, but I still think this is a good – this is what I'm talking about. This is just engaging in conversation. This is what, what yeah, I like.
1: That's, that's, dude, Chad, you're acting like you're the only one who does that. I do that on my show all the time.
4: No, but, I mean, so, people call me an Uncle Tom for doing this. People call me a nigger. Nigger, you're just a nigger doing this. I mean, this is just entertaining to do. And we agreed, but we disagreed on something. But, yeah, Vincent, please well, just don't, don't say do – you, do you think that black people are the most violent race in America? In America,
5: do I think they're yeah. the most violent rape? I agree with our own government it says they commit the majority of the crimes and fill the majority of the prisons. Do I believe yeah, the I just told government? You. Not I. Just violent, told you the reason why is
4: Negro, huh? I just told you it's from from low rated drug offenses. That's that's no, uh, it isn't. It's it's rape. It's murder. It's all violent More crime. white males are arrested on, on, on rape. But, no, no yes, sir. government, there. FBI, Our own government says
3: 100
5: 100 black on white rapes by your people to the virtually non-existent stat. There was two white on black rapes in all of 2012. There Did you are say 100? Did you say 100? 100 on government in this country? Did you say 100? 100 per day. In America. That's not true. What? Well, that's that's a not government. So then so they're lying, you and they're racist, racist and they're biased. But those are provable stats, man. You've got to provide a link on that one. That's ridiculous. Well, I can you provide a link, link on, on that my one. computer yes. right now, but anybody – I'm sure somebody like Brian A33 can throw that up. It's on Stormfront. So it's, it's easy to oh, find. The Department of Justice Brian A33 Justice.
4: is my friend, by the way.
5: Good. Then he should know this stat. You want me to look it up for you? I can do it. All you need to do you know what, is Google you know this. How about this. The color of
3: crime reports. How about this?
5: color of crime reports. It'll tell you what you need to know.
4: I mean, I'm gonna... I want to say you I wanna downplay give you...
5: it and justify it. That's what, That's what Karina's doing. Downplaying. Oh, isn't it so great? Why nationalism bad? Jew porno industry good? You must be kidding.
4: Like I was trying to say, I wanted to, um, um, hey, project. Can I yes. give my num- number out to you and to him, or do you don't want me to do that on the show the show right now?
1: That's that's your choice. I don't know. I mean, that that's completely your choice. Whatever information okay. that you that you give out, you volunteer. But like, you can put it in the chat. You can email me if you want. Um, you can email him if you want. I, that, it's your choice.
4: I'm, okay, I'm going to say it right now. So, since since visitors on not in the chat room. Um, you can me email it. me, dude. If you if before you do that,
5: I have a web page in an easy domain. You can email it to me if you want. CovenantPeople'sMinistry.org. I'm the biggest CI net on a site on the net.
4: Okay. Can you send me the link to it?
5: Yeah. Okay. I'm sure okay. someone in the chat room will post it. If not, when I go back in the house, I'll do that for you. Is
4: this visitor? Yeah,
5: because...
4: Is this visitor or? Huh? Oh, you're okay, Biz is talking to me. Okay, well, all right. I thought
1: that was the other guy, the Hate Project <laughs> No, no. I'll
4: email you my number to the Hate Project.
1: Yeah, um let me let me put my email down here. Um guys, I gotta wrap this show up because I can't I'm sorry, I can't have yelling for the rest of the evening. <laughs> exactly. All right.
5: oh, oh, exactly. Oh Why oh, man, that's what ratings are about. That's what people <laughs> from are doing. i the guy who's doing the most yelling. Oh, exactly.
1: I agree with you about the yelling. Yeah, way, way to be an upstanding citizen there, champ. All right, guys, um, i got to wrap this show up. Uh, here's my email, Chad. I'm putting it down here. Oh, what the fuck? Hold on. Let me do okay. it again. Hold on. And...
4: All right, I got past the visitors, crap. Thank you, Pastor visitor.
5: Okay, no hang problem. on a second, Chad. Just hang on. Just go in the About section. My email, address is there. I'll get it. Do you see it?
4: Yeah, see I'm copying and pasting it right now.
1: Yep.
5: All right, so also,
1: guys, I'm on Twitter here, uh, twitter.com, the hate project. Uh, follow us there. Um, so, Chad, email me, whatever you want um, over there. Um, anybody else, if you have any other ideas, um, if you have any um, – so I guess number 36 is asking why I end the show, because this show is now going nowhere. It's people shouting at each other, yelling out like a lot of false information about crime statistics, which – I was just now trying to look at the Color Department of Crime of report.
5: Google it; it's easy to find, man. It's our own government. All right. oh, yeah. documented. David Duke has is... done tons of videos on it. Color of Crime. Oh, David. Oh, David Duke has done it. Okay, well that yeah, makes Yeah, David okay. Duke compiled those from our own Department of Justice. Yes, those statistics oh, are right. Public I'll, access. right. I'll look it up.
1: I'll, I'll look. I'll look it up. You'll, I, just, <laughs> uh, you'll just
5: say it's biased and they arrest more Negroes for low-level crimes. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, uh. You
4: understand why I think it's biased?
5: No, I really don't. Because where I'm at, all the cops are Negro. Explain that one.
4: Wait, wait, wait! Did you say all the cops are? Pretty Negro? much,
5: I'd say a majority of them are. Yeah. And when I grew up in L.A., I never saw a white cop. Not after 1990.
4: No, I'm talking about in Griffin where you live.
5: I'm talking about in Griffin. I tell you, 75% of the police force is Negro. Yeah. Wait, so I Griffin was mostly two.
4: white? But okay. No, yeah. no,
5: no, no, no. Brooks okay. is mostly white, where I live. Griffin is a town nearby me, and it's half and half, 100%, across, across the railroad track, like I said. Where,
1: where's Griffin? Where's Griffin? I,
5: I'm lost. Where's Griffin's Griffin? about 30 minutes above Macon and 30 minutes below Atlanta.
1: Okay.
4: Oh, 30 minutes far, Okay. I know that.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, um, anyways, guys, uh, email me at Hate Project Radio if you want. Uh, if you have any ideas or comments or questions about the show, please feel free. Um, so I encourage everyone to look at these crime statistics because the last time I looked at the Department of Justice, I don't have time to do it tonight because it's getting late and I have a job tomorrow. Unlike a lot of people here in the chat. Um, the, 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 the crimes between whites and blacks, they were pretty much at the same percentage. And actually, like, uh, yeah, fuck you too, guess thirty two.
5: 32. Yeah, um, even if they are, I mean, though, you got to remember that the blacks comprise twelve percent of the population. So but, therefore, but chat if it's half to half. People,
3: half right. Yeah. Though,
1: chat 80's right though. There's, there's, there's a problem also where like there's low level crimes that blacks get disproportionately punished more for
5: than well, they white. Commit
1: family. more. Okay. Well, mm. we can we can we can talk in circles for the rest of the evening. Anyways, guys, both of you guys. Yeah. Um, I'll be back right. on. I mean, this. Show, I'm just letting you know, uh, this show's going to end pretty soon. I'm, I'm working on a couple more guests. I'm saying right. like, that the the run of the show's going to end soon. Um, I'm working on a couple more guests, and then, like, I'm going to wrap this thing up and move on with my life. Nice. Um, right. and, uh, but, like, you guys, uh, you guys are both welcome to call into my show and email me whenever you want, okay?
4: Thank Lighting
5: you.
1: On. Okay?
4: Have a Bye good night to
1: right. you. Yo, have a good night, night man. man.
5: I'm, Thank I'm so glad sweet. you let me. Share my I'm opinion sorry. on Karina, man. I just said I'm yeah. glad I wish you. I, I'm glad you let me have my soapbox and share my opinion on Karina. Keep up the good work, man.
1: Well, I I still side with her on that, and I disagree with you 200%. But That's, you know fine. That,
5: that's fine. That's fine. Okay. That's how it should be. Everything in its right place.
1: All right, man. Uh, okay. Well, uh, meditate before you go to bed, dude. You you're you're really amped up. Yeah, always.
5: <laughs> Always.
1: All right. Good night. Talk to you later.
5: Peace.
1: Okay. So that is what we do here at the Hate Project. It's a lot of craziness. Holy crap. What a crazy show it was.
0: As always, thank you for listening to Paradox of Civility. Um,. If you have any feedback for me, uh, please email me at Paradox of Civility. The description, uh, the email's in the description below. Um, If you have any suggestions for future guests, if you have any um, questions, any comments, any complaints, uh, please email me. Uh, Please leave a review on iTunes if you enjoy the show. Leave a bad review if you hate the show. I don't know. Hey, I just like engagement no matter where it comes from. All right, talk to you next time. And also uh, follow us on Twitter at at Civil Podcast and like our Facebook page. Okay, now I'll talk to you next time.